Good Friday. Today's Friday, right? Yes, today is Friday. How's everyone doing out there tonight in uh, podcast internet live stream land? I hope everyone is doing good. And uh, we know we are here over at the Sea Report. And welcome to our Friday night edition coming to you live on the foxhole.app, pill.net, twitch.tv, and also Clout Hub. And uh, very uh, happy to be along here on this Friday afternoon. It's finally Friday. So uh, that's a pretty good thing in some people's books, although most days are pretty much quite the same for me every day of the week. Actually, I guess Saturday would be my Friday because Sunday is my day off. So, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Well, 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 well. We got a lot going on today. Um, Today, ladies and gentlemen, as promised... Uh, We will do um, our Roving International episode today. It seems like we are doing kind of a Roving International episode this week. You know, news was just getting too caught up. In fact, news was almost just too caught up today to do it, but we're going to do it either way. We have some interesting international news stories for you guys tonight. And, you know, uh, it's times like these that it kind of feels like there is just not enough days. There are not enough days in uh, the the week, not enough hours in the day to get everything all done that I want to get done. But going to keep on moving on and and moving on. Good afternoon, FNetMe over at Twitch, and uh, we got a Joyful Lily over at uh, the Foxhole.app. Good evening, Joyful Lily. I don't think um, I have seen you in our chats before, but welcome. Uh, Stick around for a bit, and uh, you'll get nice and comfy. As always, as always, glad to have you along with us. And um, yeah, so international use. Yes, we'll be covering that today. Uh, Let's see what we have on the menu, what we have on the uh, headboard here. Hmm, uh, let's see here. CEO of Freeport McMorman, McMoran, pardon me, is uh, happy with the communist president of Peru, Pedro Castillo. Interesting. Ah, uh, yes. We talked a little bit about Pedro Castillo when uh, he became the president. It was uh, over the summer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so now the communists have a stronghold in Peru for all you communist sympathizers out there. There's a place you can go, and it's called Peru. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, but we'll, we'll, I thought this in, uh, article was actually rather interesting because we know the Chinese have uh, a very, very uh, uh, big interest in Peru, uh, considering that, uh, I guess, they have a communist Marxist sympathizer there as a leader. They're probably going to want to get their claws into uh, some of Peru's uh, natural you know, uh, commodities and other things that uh, the country uh, produces. Um, I think they're number two in copper in the entire world. So you can definitely see uh, where that could be an interest of some people. But 
when you have uh, leaders of like minds, you know, communists, uh, I'm pretty sure that they're going to team up. But why on earth would a United States based company want to do business with a communist company? I don't know. We'll find out when we get into that story. Uh, Mexico and the United States seem to be joining forces again uh, in order to uh, clamp down on uh, drug and gun um, uh, laundering and sales. So uh, we'll uh, take a little bit of a look at that, considering that we know America and Mexico have worked in those efforts before. I think they did um, a far better job the previous uh, four years than they have uh, the entire time that uh, Mexico has been connected to America. Hmm, that's quite some time. Uh, but we'll see the details of that with Antony Blinken and a whole host of Mexican officials. See what they have to say about that. We'll visit back down into Australia. Australia has uh, been... Uh, a topic that should be on the mind. Now, is it always on the mind? Not uh, in the mainstream media. That's good old mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media. Yeah, they're not talking about Australia much at all. I mean, uh, some faux networks, if you get what I'm saying, they uh, report on uh, Australia from time to time. We know the independents do, particularly those on the internet. Uh, but... Um, yeah, you'll be uh, hard up to catch any kind of news of Australia happening on your uh, everyday uh, general television station, cable or otherwise. But uh, there's a lot that can be learned and still can be learned. There's uh, pretty interesting developments going on down there. You know, one of their draconian leaders uh, recently resigned in a cloud of scandal. Uh, and we're trying to figure out what is this over? Uh, could be quite possibly over the fact that they had Pfizer and AstraZeneca lobbyists that were paying them to lock down New South Wales. Uh-huh. So we'll definitely dip into that. In fact, uh, the um, the Premier, she says it so fast, she's like, I'm Premier Vizhnik. Anyways, she uh, she's not the only one. It seems that a few other members of Parliament over there in Australia are doing the same thing. Kind of makes you wonder why. Kind of makes you wonder if uh, they're not trying to get ahead of a scandal, try and be out of office, you know, before uh, they get uh, indicted themselves. Kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, Mark Elias, Perkins Coy. Yeah, they got to get ahead of that scandal. Well, that's happening in Australia now, along with some uh, brand new lockdown uh, improvements at least for the government, but, uh, well, they're not so brand new for us here on the, here over at, uh, the C report. I mean, after all, we've been uh, reporting this for uh, psh, some weeks now. Uh, but I guess they're finally rolling out with that, uh, selfie, uh, self quarantine app. Seems like that's, uh, becoming a thing. And then, uh, what else do we got here? Ah, yes. The French Catholic church caught up in a massive report on sexual abuse. Now, not within the uh, year of 2021 itself. It's a report that has gone into depth of uh, a few decades uh, in discovering uh, some of the horrendous activities of um, individuals in the religious and papal sectors of uh, our world. Um, and some of the things that they've been doing. So uh, we will definitely be jumping into that tonight, ladies and gentlemen. There was so much more news 
that I don't, we're not going to get to cover tonight, especially where the world is concerned. A lot of China activities. Uh, as you guys know, uh, China's been invading Taiwan's airspace. They've been kind of showing their muscle. They've been kind of been like, I dare you, illegitimate joke Biden, to enter into our airspace to uh, stop us from uh, intimidating Taiwan. And that's just a terrible situation that is developing. But uh, I'm pretty sure you guys understand that uh, China's going to be playing that part. They're probably going to be the big brother bully from this point forward because uh, their older brother, no, just kidding. Actually, I guess they would be the older brother of the United States of America if you're considering years of existence. But, uh, well, we used to be stronger we used to be uh, more feared, and uh, now it seems that um, they just going to bully on us as well over there, those Chinese. But uh, that's not all. You know, there's uh, some other things going on with China, like in regards to the Taliban. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, a recent story comes out saying that they're uh, cozying up to the brand new Taliban administration. So that they can, you know, get in on some of their uh, natural resources and other uh, types of uh, commodities. So uh, that's kind of an interesting fact. How will the Taliban take it? I don't know. They seem to be uh, doing some uh, work with them already. Of course, some of that is in speculation. There's uh, some more that we have the Chinese on the ground at the uh, Bagram Fort over there. And um, yeah, and uh, uh Mosques getting blown up in Afghanistan, the Taliban reports. So I guess they're not behind it, but uh, very interesting indeed. But we won't be able to uh, scour into all of those ideas, not just tonight. Uh, we will most definitely be covering what we got on the screen for you guys with a few other stories in betwixt to flavor tonight's report of internationality. I uh, do thank you all for being here with us today. Again, we are live over at uh, the foxhole.app, pill.net, twitch.tv, and over at CloudHub. So we're running on multiple platforms tonight and very happy to have you along with us. Now, uh, for those of you who are joining us over at Twitch or at CloudHub, we are typically an America First broadcast uh, coming out Monday through Friday at 7.30 p.m. Texas time, that is Central Time. And every now and then we will get a roving international news episode just to keep up with the bunch. In fact, there was a point about tonight's episode dealing with Australia that I really wanted to dig into. Didn't have the time, had such a super busy day today writing interviews and uh, getting questions ready for certain things. Um, among other things, actually, i got a lot of stuff kind of going on on the side right now with uh, both uh, the C-Report, Mr. CTV, and some personal endeavors. Uh, but uh, I'll share all of that with you guys uh, as it develops. Um, but yes, uh, America First here over at the C-Report with our roving international episodes. Uh, tonight, we'll have an episode of Mr. C in the Dark, also located at the same station you are watching this show on. And uh, Mr. Seen the Dark is a casual and chatty type of um, after dark show, after hours, uh, where we get to have fun. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have some guests on and uh, some other things now. Quite To be quite frank for tonight on Mr. C in the Dark, uh, boy, I I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of busting out some of those um, how you say uh, side dish headlines is probably the way that I would put it. Uh, so many stories, guys. 
Some of these things need development. Some of these things just need mention. Don't, don't make me toy with the idea of coming on two times in the day during the week, you know, like a morning show and a night show. Don't make me do it guys. Cause, uh, this is all I do. So, uh, I could most, uh, definitely attempt to dedicate my time to bringing you uh, quality reports that, uh, are at least somewhat entertaining. I don't know. You tell me, guys. In the meantime, uh, before we get into the show tonight, uh, also, while I have a fresh audience, uh, how about I uh, inform you guys about the... Uh, here we go. Uh, the podcast rendition of our shows here now, uh, The Sea Report and Lone Star News. Whoop, what's Lone Star News? Tune in tomorrow, Saturday afternoon to find out about Lone Star News, but alas, there might be something going on tomorrow too. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, to be sure, anchor.fm slash the C report where you can catch the podcast version of the show uh, in case your eyes and your uh, hands are too busy to stare at a screen or to hold a phone. Uh, take me on the go while you're cleaning, while you're working, while you're exercising, and you can still get the same great news that you always do at the C report with my specialized perspective indeed. Anyways, yeah, so, uh, or, you know, also actually any major podcast platform, just look for the C Report, you'll find me. We are there most definitely for sure. And uh, also when you get the chance, check out the crreport.com. Go ahead and show us a little bit of love. The, um, uh, the site is still developing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to do on that still, uh, but uh, we will get there as we get there. But for the meantime, in between time, it has had a most definite facelift. Uh, I think it's looking a lot sharper than it did in its previous incarnation. So go ahead, go, go on over there, use the contact form, say hello. And if you don't want to use the contact form, then all you got to do is... Um, Oh, let's say, uh, go to uh, the C report at protonmail.com. Send us a letter. Hello. All right. What's going on in chat over at the foxhole.app? Joyful Lily says, I need something between Occam's Razor and 412 Anon. So uh, let me see. That's like 12 and 3 central time. Or is it 12 and 4? 12 and 3 central time. Hmm. Thank you for pitching that. Uh... <laughs> Thank you for pitching that time frame, the Joyful Lily. I appreciate that. You know, and that uh, that would put me right about the time. Say I do like an hour show. Like, uh, oh, yeah, Mr. C, contain yourself for an hour, right? Uh, that would give me enough time somewhere in there to uh, where I actually start really rolling on getting my uh, C report for the evening ready tonight. But of course, then there's dinner to consider. Uh, I don't have to eat, but sometimes I am uh, a slave to an appetite. <laughs> we'll see. I am uh, very much the once a day kind of person when it comes to uh, eating things. But that's not even that has nothing to do with tonight. So let's not even go there. But Joyful Lily, thank you for joining us. Happy Friday. Nat Handy, good to see you as well. Tam Growl. Hello, Angel. How good to see you, ma'am. How are you doing tonight? And uh, Just V. Lurkin and a lurkin. Good evening, just be glad to have you here with us tonight. And uh, I'm glad prayers against Perkins Coy are coming to pass. It's about time, right? It's like, uh, how many prayers did we have to submit to get Perkins Coy 
to have justice uh, wing or shadow pass over it, right? Maybe there just was not enough individuals who knew what Perkins Coy was, uh, despite the fact that you always heard about Perkins Coy and the Hillary Clinton campaign all throughout 2016 plus. Uh, but, you know, now it's uh, really getting submitted into the general consciousness of, uh, you know, mankind. Perkins Coy, no bueno. Perkins Coy is a, uh, a very, very dangerous law firm that uh, has almost limitless ability to instigate lawfare against its political oppo opponents. May justice be served, Perkins Coy. May justice be served. Indeed. Prayers be heard. Justice be served. Thanks for the compliments, uh, Joyful Lily. Mr. C, always looking so dapper. I try. I feel like I have quite the potato head today, but I just had dinner, so that might be why. <laughs> Tim Growl, do it, see, twice a day. Ooh, man, talk about opening up my audiences. I could do it. I could do it. The, I don't know, somewhere between uh, 1 p.m. and 3 or 4 p.m. I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. I'm already running at prime time where we got, like, what? 5,000 shows playing at the same time. If I'm a, if I'm going to be a, uh, an audience hunter, you know, I think the smartest thing would be to find uh, a time of day where there's very few shows running, you know, so this way uh, we don't have to pull out whatever's left of our hair, trying to decide who to watch. Or I could just say, you know, whatever and do it uh, during whatever time fits me best. I don't know. We'll think about it. Or maybe uh, it won't even be five days a week morning shows. Maybe it'll be like two or three days a week morning shows. Just in case I need to squeeze in that extra news. Because there is so much news. Like uh, I could have easily done another uh, America First show tonight. Very, very, very easily. But uh, I think some of those headlines I will say for tonight. While we're doing Mr. C in the dark. We'll have a fun time talking about uh, some stuff that's been on the mind in the headlines. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, looks like uh, we got another vote for a, um, a morning or a morning or a daytime disco ball chaser. Yes, to a mid morning show. Hmm. Yeah, talk about regulating my sleep. <laughs> I'll take down all of these considerations. I never, uh, never really get to stop into either. Uh, either uh, Red Pill, RP78s, or 412 shows. Uh, I've lurked on them a few times uh, when I have a couple of moments to steal away, but uh, usually if I'm not doing something per the household, I am most definitely working on uh, on the shows and the reports for the day. Uh, the C-Report takes a, a few hours to put together. Um, if I ever showed you my, uh, my self-prepared scripting, you guys would probably understand what I'm talking about. Maybe I'll show it to you guys someday. The way I write up my stories, my reports here. So that this way I uh, don't forget my points. But uh, we all have to do it sometime. I mean, I do speak off the cusp. Off, Obviously, at least more than half my show is that. But <laughs> just so I don't forget whose name is what and, uh, you know, some of the important details. Very, very important. Uh, Musk is leaving California and going to Texas. Sorry, Texas is just be So, you know, I find it quite interesting, actually, that that news just broke through to, uh, I guess, national news. Hey, Deplore Laura, how's it going? 
Yeah, not a morning person. Neither am I typically at all. I used to be able to get up in the morning. I used to, I was always there at the cult meeting. Uh, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. I was always there. And then uh, uh, contract work happened. And then contract work stopped. And I just haven't gotten back to the morning since then. But um, getting back to this uh, Musk, Elon Musk. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised that that actually broke through into the national news barely. I've known about Elon Musk coming to Texas for a couple of months already, but of course everyone knew. It's just it finally made the, the national. I'm not special <laughs> just because I'm in Texas. Although, uh, when was this? Two days ago. Two days ago, count them. I think it was two days ago. Uh, I was running some errands in the morning and, uh, you know, I catch a lift. I don't have the, uh, I don't ha I have the ability to drive, but, uh, one does not have the ability to drive when, uh, you know, you don't have a car, but anyways, so I was catching a lift <laughs> and lo and behold, I got picked up by a Tesla Y and I was like, Ooh, this is my first time riding in a Tesla. And it was my color too. It was a dark, creamy gray. Gray is my signature color in case none of you guys realize that. Uh, it's my signature color. I've used it and had it for years. I don't know why it's not. I like the color gray. I just do leave me alone anyway. <laughs> so it was a creamy, dark gray Tesla Y. Uh, very fancy. I'd never been inside a Tesla before. I've seen, I mean, obviously we've seen Teslas on the street, but now you know that they're coming to Austin. They're building here in Texas. I suspect we'll see a whole lot more Teslas. I'd never seen a Tesla Y. I didn't even know what a Tesla Y was. Uh, didn't even know that, uh, design existed. I was, um, I was, uh, it was very nice, you know, um, I was able to figure out the door handles a lot quicker than the driver thought I would be, you know, you just push it. <laughs> anyways and the uh, ceiling was uh very cool in there you know absolutely like uh uh opaque ceiling until the sun hits it and then all of a sudden it's like glass i'm not doing a commercial for tesla obviously but it was a very nice ride anyway so yes tesla is coming to texas they already bought the land was it out there between uh austin and bastrop if I'm not mistaken, I think it's uh, east, northeast Austin, if not uh, straight east. But yeah, an hour show, right? I'd be done already in about 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, now that I, I now that I, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with my, uh, you know, my um, discourse, uh, I, I find it hard to believe that I ever did an hour show or, or was ever a part of that type of a timetable schedule thing. Two hours has to be the minimum, at least two hours. Uh, we usually go to three here, at least recently. I wouldn't say above average. We're over three, over two hours, but uh, definitely have been about three hours. Sean Joe, thank you, sir. Good evening. And uh, thank you for gifting the cookie. Much appreciated. Uh, Mitradate, let's see what he's got to say. How's it going, Mitradate? Hope you're doing well tonight. Elon is going to save Texas jobs and batteries so we will no longer have electrical blackouts well i don't know if we have a whole bunch of electrical cars rolling around here <laughs> taking up our batteries but uh if we all remember the uh statement that was issued about the uh you know mexico canada agreement the mc us cmca <laughs> sorry guys but if you guys remember that statement actually my friend mitradate it was uh president trump who saved 
batteries and jobs in the state of Texas and beyond. Uh, but yeah, good, good call there. Um, don't these uh, electric cars use cobalt batteries, which um, we have to get from like, I don't know, somewhere in West Africa, if I'm not mistaken. There's a big old scandal about the blood batteries over there in uh, West Africa. It's, a, it's an international news night, so that's fitting, right? <laughs> Thank you again for the comment, Mitra.te. Appreciate it. Judy the Ladybug Pug. Oh, I just love the way that name uh, consonants. <laughs> I like catching you when I can. Uh, uh, thank you, ma'am. I'm sh so glad that you do. Uh, Sean Joe says, Mr. C, you are made for the evening. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And I thank you for the cookie again. And uh, let's see here. Your efforts are very evident. Which efforts was that again? I've already forgotten. <laughs> and uh, didn't Musk announce it on Twitter ages ago? Yes, Joyful Lily. That's uh, probably where I was getting that reference from. I mean, it's not that that, that was not... Uh, that was not like any type of exclusive information, but uh, for sure, I think as a matter of fact, I guess uh, the rest of America had not clued into that until this time, it seems. So very cool, very cool, very cool. So Saturday, as it turns out, you know, Saturday we do our uh, Lone Star News, right? And that's usually between 3 and 4 p.m. Texas time, Central time. Then we have our uh, Mr. C in the Dark show that comes on at midnight, Texas time. Uh, and that runs for two or three hours. Uh, but tomorrow, two things we got going on, guys. Two very big things. Uh, the biggest of the big, if I may say so myself, would be uh, President Trump giving a, uh, an, uh, a rally over in Iowa. President Trump will be giving a rally over in Iowa, manana. So uh, as per the huge, uh, we will be um, we will be broadcasting that rally here at the Mr. C channel here at foxhole.app, the foxhole.app and pilled.net. And of course, we run in tandem simultaneously with uh, Twitch and Clout Hub. So we'll have it on um, all four platforms. Anyone who wants to join us, I always encourage it. We always have a great time listening to uh, the words of our president as he speaks. And uh, I'm quite interested to hear what he has to say tomorrow in light of, uh, you know, the uh, I think he'll have a whole lot more to say about Arizona and the audit report tomorrow especially now that, uh, you know, uh, the deep state and the lamestream mainstream fake news legacy media has had their chance to run their mouths off about uh, what they think happened and the propaganda they want to infect the citizens of this country with and uh, the world indeed about it. I think you'll have a lot more to say about it, honestly, guys, uh, especially now that their hand has been shown. He can counterpunch. So I think that should be exciting. And uh, let's see, that's going to be at uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Save America Rally. I think uh, I think they've found a theme. I think they've landed on a theme for all of the rallies going forward. And uh, he is set to take the stage at 7 p.m. Central Time. So we'll probably be live about 6, 5.30 or 6 or so. Uh, to get that going and uh, to get everyone nice and warmed up to uh, see our president. Uh, will he talk about such things that we don't want to hear? Maybe so. Maybe so. But uh, that's just uh, part of the ride that we're on right now. And uh, we will have to run with it while we can. Or run away from it if you prefer. It's up to you. Don't bother me none. 
so, yeah, so we'll be doing that uh, tomorrow. Now, the other uh, interesting factoid about tomorrow is uh, apparently we are going to have a type of Patriot rally uh, in my own backyard down there at the Alamo. Uh, got some information from one of the friends over at the foxhole.app letting me know about it, um, which I'm very grateful for, by the way. Now, uh, this event has a whole bunch of people I've never heard of before, um, but um, one of those individuals is a little well-known Dr. Tim Wesley, and uh, it's called the Beyond the Masks Freedom Rally 2.0. So uh, I think that might be worth checking out maybe so we'll see how it goes um i will um i will kind of dig into that a little bit more tonight and uh see what that looks like because uh we might end up just doing a lone star news live from this event tomorrow or um in addition to everything else that we got going on we'll see because uh, this event does start at 4 p.m so uh Maybe I should just go over there and like, uh, I don't know, take, uh, take my bullhorn. <laughs> well, you know, if Trump is going on at 7 p.m., I don't think this rally is going to go on all night. That would be a shame for all the patriots to miss, you know, President Trump speaking. But at the same time, of course, you know, this is a, a rally for patriots. It seems to be over these max man, mask mandates. Pardon me. Uh, so that could be uh, could be something worth looking into. Let me see here real quick. Uh, oh, no. What did I just do? Okay, here we go. Actually, I just found a little bit of information before we uh, get into tonight's report because we're right on the cusp of it, guys. If you're ready, I feel like you guys are ready. Are you guys ready for tonight's report? I feel it. Oh, wow. <laughs> what the heck? Okay, this is not what I was expecting it to be. Okay, so no, maybe we don't, ladies and gentlemen. I thought I'd found a, uh, I thought I'd found a uh, video for tomorrow's rally, but apparently that's not what that was. <laughs> that was Paris, France. Yeah, I was like three hours long. We can't play that entire video. What are they talking about? Okay, well we'll see what's up tomorrow. We'll look into it, and uh, I don't know. Maybe you'll see um, Mr. C live and on the ground, kind of doing like a pre-work for Las Vegas. Or uh, we'll be here in the studios, if you want to call it that. I call it the loft. Uh, <laughs> for the C report. Okay, guys. Okay, guys. Let's get into today's C report. Uh, for real quick. Uh, let's see here. Tam Growl. Uh, yes, is in the house. Extra mega awesome to see you. <laughs> Tam Girl says, yeah, we need to ditch MAGA now. Holy moly. <laughs> Whoa, what, what universe did I wake up in today? Uh, let's see here. And uh, step, step. Okay, exhausted. Ah, not handy. I hope you uh, feel better. And 123SKG, welcome into the chat room. Good evening. Okay, let's get into today's report. 
Let's move on in, move on in. Okay, now, you know, even though today is going to be our roving international news day, we do have news of President Trump to open the show, as always, because President Trump leads here at the Sea Report. Now, a couple of statements coming in from him today and a couple of news items as well to share about uh, President Trump and his orbit of influence. And also, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have the interview today, tonight. We're going to air that first before we get into the news. Or I don't know. Do you all want to hear it first or do you all want to hear it last? This is the uh, interview with President Trump and Sean Hannity as it aired last night while we were live on the air here during the Sea Report. We decided to listen to John Solomon instead, actually. We were quite happy with John Solomon and President Trump's interview. Um, can't imagine uh, how much more new information we might hear on the Hannity uh, interview, but as we like to archive all of President Trump's appearances and speeches and interviews, well, we are going to play it tonight. Uh, but let's see. Uh, by the time I spill through my Trump statements and uh, my Trump news, you guys let me know if you want to hear it at the end or at the head of the show. It's that kind of an interactive night this Friday, so uh, don't be shy. Let's uh, get into the first statement from President Trump while you guys think that one over. Okay. Let's see here. Statement from President Trump. It says, I have sent a letter to the United States National Archives and Records Administration in defense of the Office of the Presidency, the Constitution, vital principles of separation of powers and on behalf of our great nation, the radical left Democrats tried the Russia witch hunt. They tried the fake impeachments. And now they are trying once again to use Congress to persecute their political opponents. Their requests are not based in law or reality. It's just a game to these politicians. They don't care about our country or the American people. So you guys naturally probably remember we did a story on uh, these guys, the NARA, NARA and uh, how they want to uh, label all of their uh, computer uh, software in regards to information like the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and uh, some other items with uh, might offend hateful language found in the following document. And then there you go. It's the Constitution of the United States of America. Really, Nara? Really? Anyways, it's a good thing that uh, President Trump has his eyes on this because that's a uh, that's pretty uh, that's pretty disgusting. Anyways, uh, his letter continues: The Democrats are drunk on power, but this dangerous assault on our Constitution and important legal precedent will not work. This committee uh, committee's fake investigation is not about January sixth any more than the Russia hoax was about Russia. Instead, this is about using the power of the uh, government to silence Trump and to make our Make America Great Again movement the greatest such achievement of all time. We won two elections, did far better in the second than the first, and now perhaps have to do it a third time. It's also about trying to deflect blame from Biden's surrender in Afghanistan and the failures to address covid the border crime and the economy that is leaving Americans dead or broke. It's another grand distraction because Biden and the Democrats don't want you to see how badly America is losing due to their incompetence. My administration and the great patriots who work on behalf of the American people will not be intimidated. 
we will not allow Biden or the radical Democrats to get off without accepting blame for their incompetence and failure. I will always fight for America first and the Constitution. Together, we will make America great again. Very good, President Trump. Glad to hear it. Tying in that Russia collusion and... uh, You know, he was, uh, what, he um, issued a letter to the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, It's about time all of that stuff begins to get retracted. And then, of course, we do have a little bit of news about that Justice for Juicy January 6th uh, Nazi-run committee. And uh, some things that are going on with that. I mean, you guys heard about the subpoenas, but uh, we'll jump into that in just a sec again. Uh, final statement, a big Michigan rally coming up on October 12th. Oh, on the Capitol steps in Lansing, where patriots will demand a forensic audit of the 2020 presidential election scam. The voter fraud is beyond what anyone can believe. Anyone who cares about our great country should attend because unless we look to the past and fix what happened, we won't have a future or a country. Matthew DePerno, Steve Cara, Representative, and Christina Caramo, who I have endorsed, all three of them, will be there. Let's go, Michigan. Don't let us down. Ooh, I am excited. That's exciting. Very exciting. Okay, so October 12th, you can bet we're going to be listening to all of those speeches. I am excited. I'm gonna, ooh, that's going to be so cool. And then, you know, Matthew DiPerno, he is running for Attorney General of Michigan. Uh, Steve Cara is running for re-election. And Christina Caramo is running for Secretary of State in Michigan. That's going to be a powerhouse of a presentation. So uh, we'll definitely, I definitely want to catch DiPerno and Caramo's speeches. Ooh, how exciting. And then uh, Caramo will be in Las Vegas as well during the Patriot Double Down. So doubly exciting. I'm uh, definitely aiming for an interception in that regard. I think that's going to be a very, 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 very fun time. Ooh, I'm so excited. Ooh, as excited, ladies and gentlemen, that I am excited. Most definitely excited. All right. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Uh, oh, hey, good evening. Appealed by the rabbit. Continue your work and lurk, sir. Good to have you with us. Uh, Joe Biden wouldn't cough up his archives when he had a sexual assault case brought in front of him. True that. And we all know where he put those fingers. Um, let's see here. Uh, good evening, Tombstone. They won't stop trying to destroy the country until they are jailed. 100% Tombstone. May justice be served. That's what we're saying here now. May justice be served. Um, uh, lock them up, you know, put them away. Uh, whatever the um, whatever uh, punishment fits the crime, right? You guys know what I mean. Go ahead and let justice be served. Mm-hmm. It's the only way any of them will learn short of, you know, capital punishment. There's not going to be an America left to be made great again the way things are going. Present tense, just V, or like in general? <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, I know. Uh, well, you know, it is it is extremely bad right now. I, I know I don't need to twist any arms to get that thought through. Uh, but But conversely, you know I like to be contrite sometimes. Uh, when was the last time we had it this bad and we had uh, just as much good 
kind of counterbalancing the bad, the negative, uh, with uh, this many awake Americans and patriots and this many people awake in general and uh, some people in our uh, leadership roles who are actually actually making some headway in this regard. So yes, has it ever been this bad before? Hell no, it's never been this bad before. But have we ever had a counterforce to try and balance it out without just letting them run away with it in the past? I would say no. Only now in this, the 21st century, are we in the 22nd century already? I don't know, I get that confused. Either way, in 2021, minus the last five years, plus the last five years, I think we've had a lot more counterbalancing activities and help than we have had at any point in our nation's history in the regard of restoring our republic. Very, very important. All right, uh, some President Trump news. We have uh, President Trump suing big tech. Oh, wait, but we thought that Trump already sued big tech. Yes, he did. Oh, wait, but we heard that uh, President Trump uh, filed an injunction against Twitter so they could uh, reinstate his account. Well, yes, he did. Well, we have an update to President Trump's lawsuit. Uh, now, in addition to, uh, of course, the standing lawsuit that he filed against uh, what, uh, Facebook, GoOgle, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, in addition to the uh, injunction that he filed against uh, Twitter in order to reinstate his account, uh, as of this morning, President Trump has a filed a motion for a preliminary injunction in the big tech lawsuit against Facebook Incorporated and one Mark Zuckerberg. Hmm, something comes to mind about uh, fake false flag whistleblower and, uh, I don't know, overreaching authority on the entire internet in regards to censorship and uh, them making up all this big old fluffy floofla of a false flag just in case they need to get ahead of President Trump's lawsuits. Hmm, well, I don't know. Maybe that should uh, be the case because after all, um, this legal motion was filed with Federal District Court Judge Kathleen M. Williams presiding in the United States District Court of the Southern District of Florida. And it is strategically designed to make Facebook immediately halt its censorship for President Trump's Facebook page and to give President Trump the choice to use the platform. Now, again, guys, he did his initial filing in July. We were all there and accounted for during that uh, during that speech. Over 95,000 Americans since that time have submitted their censorship stories and have joined President Trump in his effort to protect First Amendment rights. Now, uh, the America First Policy Institute, um, they are actually the ones who are uh, doing the big assist in regards to this lawsuit. And of course, they remain committed to ensuring all censored Americans' voices are heard and represented in said lawsuit. So don't forget to go on over to takeonbigtech.com if you have been censored and you have a story to tell, or if you would like to support these uh, First Amendment lawsuits in any way necessary. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so uh, let's see here. Uh, next up, we got in the way of Trump news. Uh, we have a very uh, interesting looking fellow there. And then, of course, we got President Trump giving him the finger. 
Now, uh, the man pictured here is actually, his name is Rick Wilson. Um, you know, a very, very wise Southern old woman once said, why are all gay men named Rick, Martin, or Steve? I don't know, Clary. I don't know. But uh, Rick Wilson here, he is an anti-Trump strategist that works with uh, the Lincoln Project. <laughs> sure you guys all know who the Lincoln Project is, right? Okay, yes, uh, the Lincoln Project, uh, you know, they are, um, I don't know, uh, like rogue uh, log, log cabin Republicans. Is that what they call them? Log cabin Republican. <laughs> they are log, log cabin Republican uh, never Trumpers uh, who seem to uh, have a penchant for hiring younger staffers. And by younger, I mean, uh, they're still getting their, um, uh, what was it called? Their, their apprenticeship straight from high school. Okay. <laughs> so not my story. That stuff's in the, that stuff's in the headlines. I'm sure you guys are aware of it, but anyways, uh, this Rick Wilson anti-Trump strategist, um, who's been looking into this investigation or his investigation, actually the January J six justice for juicy committee, um, well, he had this to say about this, uh, this, uh, kangaroo committee, uh, that's trying to subpoena everyone and their mama who was, uh, uh, even within, uh, I don't know, an arm's reach of president Trump, particularly during the last few days of his, um, of his, uh, presidency first term, right? I'm going to say it like that first term presidency. Um, <sighs> Well, you know, I might not have said them in the correct order, but I said them. Oh, Mark, not Martin. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Inside joke. Okay. So, okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this is what he had to say. Uh, Wilson working for the Lincoln Project, which is considered a, a fringe group of anti-Trump Republicans uh, that create short videos and appear on television to say bad things about President Trump. Um, that's that's all they could say about them. They couldn't say about any of the scandals, right? Uh, well, anyways, this Rick Wilson said that he made multiple phone calls you know, to call all his people involved in this J6 committee. And uh, the grim news that he came away with was this. As of now, the 1-6 commission is dead already, is what he wrote he added that uh, they will not enforce the subpoenas. Uh, those are the subpoenas that everyone is resisting. We know Bannon for sure was not going to go in and uh, be a part of that kangaroo show. And uh, that uh, since uh, they are not going to enforce any of the subpoenas that are being issued by the committee, that means basically that each party has no legal requirements, you know, kind of like Maricopa County Board of Supervisors did have a legal requirement. Well, the political parties don't in this case. They don't have to comply with the committee's request because at this point, they're just a request. There's no uh, weight of law behind it. Wilson, um, before describing the events of January 6th, Justice for Juicy, says uh, Trump wins as a terror plot. Yeah. Yeah, he still calls it a terror plot, though. He says, uh, he says in regards to the J6 committee, this is staffed wrong, it's led wrong, and gutless uh, exercise to get back to talking about infrastructure. Uh, he's saying that in regards to the Democrats. 
He says uh, they are abandoning J6 in order to, uh, you know, go back to focusing on their socialist communist infrastructure package, which I guess at this point would be more valuable to them, considering that they're probably going to try and push as much of this uh, anti-American legislation through uh, before uh, we have some type of reinstatement. And uh, for those of you tuning in right now, it looks like our Twitch has gone down and out. So uh, uh, maybe it's back now. Twitch was down and out, and uh, it might be back. I apologize to the viewers over at Twitch. That's been happening a lot lately. Don't know what's up with that. Um, But anyways, uh, Wilson goes on to say, Stay locked in your bubble that the modern GOP won't have a mob of Bannon's terrorists burn you to the ground and piss on the ashes. Wilson warned the Democrats, an unpunished coup is a training exercise. Okay, Wilson. Oh, why you gotta be so dramatic? I know you just came fresh out of the log cabin, but geez, man, get a hold of your emotions. But uh, as I was saying, uh, this is the ridiculous thing about this whole Wilson statement. I mean, quite on the face of it, I'm sure you guys can understand. He's warning the Democrats that there will be a... um, mob of Bannon terrorists to burn you to the ground when we clearly have a mob of, uh, I don't know, illegal aliens running amok across our border. Talk about a, uh, talk about a terrorist group. Talk about a BLM. Now I know uh, recent developments with the BLM sees them uh, kind of uniting with, uh, you know, conservative or Republican um, viewed values and stuff. I, I would say, uh, This is just all for the good of humanity. And then we see a split there too as well, don't we? We see uh, some Black Lives Matters leaders saying, hey, this is a racist to have the vaccine and have the passport. And uh, then we have some saying, hey, uh, this is part of being a member of Black Lives Matter. Taking the vaccine means that Black Lives Matter. Yeah, even though uh, we already talked about how... um, Most of the people being affected by these vaccine mandates are minorities. For all of you uh, Caucasian folks joining us again over at Twitch. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) Anyways, we're back online on Twitch, it looks like. Um, It says, uh, well... Oh, we had some stuff with Laura Luma. It's okay. Yeah, but but basically that's it. So uh, we'll see how that story develops, okay? Because apparently, apparently, apparently... The uh, J6 committee is probably going to come undone. I'll dig around into that during the weekend. We'll see where we end up in that regards. Uh, But yeah, that's some Trump news for you guys. See you later, Joyful Jilly. Thanks for Jilly. Joyful Lily, thank you for hanging out. And uh, Lincoln Project, nope, the subject uh, to catch up on. Oh, Oh, yeah, Nat Handy. Oh, yeah, Lincoln Project. Yeah, yeah, a couple of their people, uh, you know. Um, asking young men online if they would like an apprenticeship. (laughs) We're talking uh, younger than 18. I think at least two or three of them did it. Yeah, Lincoln Project. Yeah, it's a good name to know. A terrible band to to know, but a good name. Uh, Anyhow, uh, there's probably some Lincoln Project fans out there that are just going to totally hate this show now. It's okay. Uh, Let's see here. What else do we got? Um... Yeah, they are trying to recycle crap now. No more ammo. That's Tombstone. Uh, that's what they do. That is what they do. And uh, Tam Gural wants to know if Wilson loves Soros. I don't know. 
Uh, I'm sure that they have some type of affection for each other, Tam Growl, but at the same time, I think both of them, uh, as far as both parties go, um, I would have to say that uh, they're probably both not their uh, taste in men. <laughs> I don't think these guys go for the daddies, is kind of what I'm saying. Anyways, okay. Just V says Wilson is a schmuck. He looks like a schmuck. So long, schmuck. All right, guys. Okay, no one answered the question, so we're just going to go along with the things as planned. That means you get to ta you get to taste some uh, Sean Hannity. You did this to yourself. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right, let's get Hannity on the screen here. He's going to be interviewing our uh, 45th president of the United States of America, I'm sure. This will be well worth the watch. And uh, let's just get this rolling so we can get on with some international news. All right, guys, uh, here is uh, yeah, a, good, a good moment with President Trump and Sean Hannity. Enjoy. Live on the phone for an exclusive interview, the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Mr. President, you, you did urge the United States senators today not to do what they promised for two months they wouldn't do. But yet they threw a lifeline to Chuck Schumer. And by the way, Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, yep, they're, they're mocking Mitch McConnell. They're making fun of the Republicans and they're laughing at him because he just threw them a lifeline that they didn't have to throw them. The Republican Senate needs new leadership. I've been saying it for a long time. Mitch is not the guy. He's not the right guy. He's not doing the job. He gave them a lifeline. It's more than a lifeline. He gave them so much time now to figure out what to do because they were in a real big bind. They wouldn't have been able to do anything. He had the weapon and he was unable to use it. And it's a shame. It's a shame. These 11 people, I know them, some are wonderful and some I don't agree with too often. You know, I'm not surprised to see some of the names, but I will tell you this, that was not a good thing that happened today. He made a big mistake. Let me, let me start. There's a lot going on in the country and um, when you start with abandoning Americans in Afghanistan, and I want to get into all of these issues in detail, and then you look at the crisis at the border, you look at Joe Biden gave up the energy independence that you achieved for the first time in 75 years, and now he's begging OPEC. Um, you look at inflation, you look at the cost of energy, you look at America's standing in the world, you look at the saber rattling in China. We got a lot, a lot of ground to cover. The first thing, though, that I really think needs to be discussed is it's what now day 54 Americans right. abandoned behind enemy lines. It's been almost 40 days since Joe has even mentioned them. We have thousands of green card holders. We have unknown hundreds of Americans and their families abandoned. He said he wouldn't do it 13 days before he abandoned them. Then we have Afghan allies we abandoned. And then we have military equipment in the billions of dollars that we leave in the hands of terrorists. I never thought, Mr. President, in my lifetime that I'd ever see that happen. What, is there anything we can do now? Well, look, we have to get our country back. It's uh, what happened in Afghanistan, in my opinion, Sean, is the single most embarrassing event to happen to our country, maybe in its history. Uh, the The warriors that were killed, and I've spoken to the parents of many of them, and they're devastated. How did we take out the military before 
everything else. The military is gone, and we leave everybody else there. And remember this, $85 billion, the best military equipment. I bought it. I rebuilt the entire military. $85 billion, the best the best equipment, military equipment in the world. And now they're uh, taking it apart. Russia, China, they've already got some. They're taking it apart. They're going to examine it, and they're going to build it themselves. They can never do what we have with the Black Hawk helicopters and all of the other things that we have. This is the most embarrassing. It looked like a total surrender, the most embarrassing moment. And then you look also at the border, and they see these pictures at the border of hundreds of thousands of people coming in every couple of weeks into our country. We have no idea who they are. And by the way, speaking of that, uh, go back to Afghanistan, and you take a look at the people that came out of Afghanistan, only 3% of them qualified to come out. They just rushed the airplanes, and they're plenty tough and plenty smart and a lot of energy, and those are the people that got onto the plane. 3%, the various planes, 3% of the people qualify, and it's incredible what's happening to our country. We're being laughed at all over the world. We're not respected anymore. We had a thing going. You, you take a look at Taiwan. There wasn't that was not happening during the Trump administration with Taiwan, and they understood you can't do that. And what's going on is just a terrible thing for our country. I don't think I don't think we've ever been this disrespected. You know, you 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 were last time on this program, and I think we need to put emphasis back on this that your conversation with the leader of the Taliban before you ever discussed any deal of withdrawal was number one. It was based on your your stated threat that you would obliterate them. Do you remember exactly what you said? Because I have a source that says you were brutal to them and that you said you would destroy them, you would destroy their province, you would destroy it, and it would be everybody in the area would be dead. Did you say that? So what I said, and I had a very strong conversation, I said, I hate to start the conversation this way, but that's the way it is. And I said we would do serious, serious harm to them if they killed any of our soldiers or any American citizen and went on from there. And then we got back into a more normalized conversation. Well, from that conversation on, 18 months, I believe, is the amount of time. We didn't lose one soldier. We didn't have one soldier shot at. No American was killed. They understood exactly. And they also understood we were getting out and they had conditions. They didn't fulfill those conditions. So we hit them hard and we stayed longer and we were getting ready to move. And I said, I want every bolt. I want every nail. I want every screw. I want the, ta- you know, those buildings, those beautiful canvas buildings that we build as hangers. I want the buildings taken out. I want the canvas. I want the airplanes. I want the tanks. I want every single piece of equipment we have. And then we were going to bomb five airfields and we were going to keep Bagram because it's right next to China. In fact, it's right next to their, very close to their nuclear facility. It would have been great to keep it. It cost $10 billion to build it. And we left with the lights on. They left the lights on They left the dogs there. They didn't destroy the equipment. They didn't take the equipment out. They said they destroyed some equipment because they were so embarrassed that they left without the equipment. $85 billion. Nobody knows what that is. $85 billion worth of equipment. The entire budget, military budget of Russia for a year is 50, 50 billion. 
And we left $85 billion worth of equipment in the hands of the Taliban. so here's my so you would obliterate them if they didn't follow every dotted I and cross T. OK, you yeah, also it was going right. to be a, it was going to be a, it was going to be a conditions based withdrawal only if conditions were suitable. You would keep in right. perpetuity Bagram Air Base, which we paid for and, and built. Can you explain to me when Joe Biden had the month of March, April, May, June and July when he had full control of Kabul? including the perimeter around Karzai International Airport, when the Taliban was south, way south of Kabul, why didn't he evacuate? If he wasn't going to obliterate them and push them back, why didn't he move everybody out when he had full control of Kabul and the airport and the perimeter? Why would he wait until the Taliban took over Kabul? Nobody understands it, and the media is not covering it. It's already become like not only fake news, but old news. They're trying to get rid of it. You don't see them talking about that now. I read an article two days ago where they're selling the machine guns. They have 600,000 guns of different types, the most sophisticated weapons in the world. And they're selling these machine guns and guns on the black market. Uh, Other countries are buying them. They're selling them. They don't need that many. You don't need that many. 600 to 700,000 guns. They have night goggles that are better than anything we have. The latest model, brand new, out of the box, never used before, the latest model. All stuff that, you know, they never liked to, very good fighters, but they never liked the Taliban fighting at night. Now they can fight at night. They can do what they want to do. They have the best. They have the Apache helicopters. They have the the best equipment in the world, $85 billion. That wasn't the deal. And they understood. I spoke to Abdul, and Abdul understood. We're leaving, and we're taking our equipment, and we're taking our American citizens. If they wanted to stay, they had the right to stay, but they don't want to stay. And we were taking them. And the last out would have been, and when everything's gone, the last out would have been our military. The big mistake to take our military out first. And I could just see these people saying, Abdul, he is the leader. And now if you look, he's the leader still. I could just see them saying, Abdul, the American military has left. And him saying, there's no way. You've got to be crazy. And they go, no, no, they've left. And going in and then they go to Kabul and they'll find out that they left. These guys could not believe that they left. But that's what happened. Let me move to the border, Mr. President. Uh, When you first ran, it became a big issue. You implemented what's known as the stay in Mexico policy. That's been abolished. Uh, You built about 500 miles of new wall. Um, We had the lowest rate of illegal immigrants coming into this country in in nearly 40 years. Uh, You eliminated the catch and release program. Uh, the wall building has stopped. The stay in Mexico program has ended and it's no longer catch and release. It's process and release and then hand them a re- people a request form. We request that you may show up in court. You don't have to. We're not mandating what we request it. I doubt people will honor that request. We now have we're on path to have a record number of illegal immigrants, probably a 30 year high. We're closing in on 2 million illegal immigrants in the country. There's no vaccine mandates like our for American citizens. There's no COVID checks. There's a high rate of COVID positivity. There's no security or background checks if people have 
radical associations. It's all unfolding before our eye. You see the mess at the border. You saw the overcrowded cages. You had it under complete control. Um, and now we see the Democrats are trying to put, slip in amnesty in this reconciliation bill. Um, you know, I, I, at this point, I've got to believe that this is done on purpose. They're not enforcing the law. If you didn't enforce the law, they'd want to impeach you. It seems like they're aiding and abetting and lawbreaking. What are your thoughts on the border? Well, I think you're right about that. And I will say that the border we had was the strongest probably ever. And all they had to do is leave it alone. You know, they sued us, the Democrats, Congress, for two and a half years. We won all the suits for two and a half years, and then we were able to start the wall. It would have been finished in a period of literally a period of weeks. And now we're paying $6 million a week for contractors not to build the wall. Now, the wall was almost complete, and it's one of the things that led to this great record. And one thing you didn't say, Sean, is drugs. Drugs were at the lowest point, drugs coming in, in particular fentanyl, which is a brutal drug. It was stopped. It was at a level that we hadn't seen in a long time, low level. And now it's coming in at levels that we've never seen, three, four, five times more than we ever had coming in. It's pouring into our country. There's something wrong. They, they, you, you wouldn't believe you could even say this, but somebody doesn't love our country. When they allow this to happen to our country, we have hundreds of thousands of people pouring in every two weeks, hundreds of thousands. And coming from countries we don't even know from where they're coming. And, you know, they're emptying out many countries. I used to say the three Guatemala, you could add Mexico, Honduras, you could add El Salvador. But I used to say three or four countries. I hear it's 50 countries. They're emptying out their prisons into the United States. Their jails, some of the toughest people on earth, are being dumped into the United States because they don't want them. They don't want to take care of them for the next 40 years. So these people that are the roughest prisoners there are anywhere are being dumped into the United States for us to take care of them. What you know, are they doing? They're destroying our country. Well, that's now a big part of the spending bill. I guess this is the difference between America first policies and American last policies. You know, when you were when you were out and you were pushing to get the money and fighting to get the money, which you eventually found a way uh, to build the 500 miles of wall that you, you built, you talked about a big wall, with a beautiful wall, you used to say, with a big door in it. Now, I'm for legal immigration. All four of my grandparents came from Ireland. I think you know my family's story. And, mm -hmm. you know, they had no money in their pocket. They were broke. And my parents grew up very poor. And but so I'm pro I'm pro immigration. Is it wrong to ask for a security check to make sure you don't have radical associations in the middle of a pandemic? Should we not give preferential treatment to people that don't respect our law? Should they at least have a COVID test, a health check? Is it wrong to say that if we're going to invite you into our country, we don't care where you come from, but you got to be able to provide for yourself and you won't be a financial burden on the American people? That seems like, like pretty fair conditions. Would you support that? Well, you have to support that. And for everybody else, they have to go through it. But if they just happen to walk in, they don't have to do any of the things that were supposed to be done. And, and you know, there's one other thing that nobody talks about. So we have hundreds of thousands of people flowing in from Haiti. 
Haiti has a tremendous AIDS problem. AIDS is a step beyond. AIDS is a, a real bad problem. So hundreds of thousands of people are coming into our country. And if you look at the stats, if you look at the numbers, if you look at just take a look at what's happening in Haiti, a tremendous problem with AIDS. Many of those people will probably have AIDS and they're coming into our country and we don't do anything about it. We let everybody come in. Sean, it's like a death wish. It's like a death wish for our country. Well, obviously, it, it seems that the Democrats, it's a top priority for them because they want to offer. You know, it's very interesting. I pointed out that so many countries actually sell citizenship. You can buy, if you want to spend two and a half million dollars, you can buy citizenship into places like Cyprus. You can buy citizenship. Uh, I believe Turkey sells it for a million or two million dollars. Australia and New Zealand have conditions, but also you pay out millions of dollars. Then Antigua and St. Kitts and Nevis, it's something of great value. And I believe in, again, legal immigration. But let me move on to another issue, and that is, you know, for the first time in 75 years, you were able to achieve something that I have believed in for many, many years. And Newt Gingrich and I had started a campaign, drill here, drill now, pay less. And mm -hmm. you finally got America to the point where we were energy independent. We didn't have to rely on countries that hate our guts for our, the what is the lifeblood of the world's economy. We didn't have to worry so much about the Straits of Hormuz and the crazy mullahs in Iran. We did not, you didn't import a single barrel of oil, I believe, from Saudi Arabia in your last however many months in office. We were energy well, independent okay. and a net exporter of energy. Now, Joe Biden has given that up. But worse, he's begging OPEC to increase their production. I want your overall thoughts because we're now paying a buck fifty more on average a gallon, over five bucks a gallon in some places in California. We became energy independent for the first time in the history of our country. One of the things I was most proud of, we had Anwar in Alaska. Ronald Reagan tried. Everybody tried to get it approved. They couldn't get it approved for many, many years. Ronald Reagan couldn't do it. He wanted to do it many years ago in Alaska. And Senator Murkowski made it possible that it was just ended by Biden. And that was done by a Republican senator, made it possible that Anwar, perhaps the biggest drilling site in the world, as big as Saudi Arabia. One of the other things that I was very proud of, we became number one in the world in energy and oil and output. We were beating Saudi Arabia by a lot. We were beating Russia by a lot. We were bigger than both. And now we're going back to them. We're going back to OPEC for the first time in a long time. We're going back to OPEC because we don't have enough energy. We don't have enough oil and gas because a lot of the areas that we're talking about were shut down stupidly shut down for no reason, not even an environmental reason. They were just shut down. And it's uh, it's very it's very sad. We were energy independent just a few months ago, but we were really we were really we were going to be much bigger than both Russia and Saudi Arabia. We were already quite a bit bigger. And that took place on my watch. And I was very proud of it. Think of it, energy independence. We didn't have to go through the straits. We didn't have to go to the Middle East. We didn't need anybody. We had the best energy in the world. We had the best companies doing it. And that ended about two months ago when we started going to OPEC because we don't have enough oil.
Let me ask you about this question. Why would Joe Biden give a waiver to Vladimir Putin to build the pipeline so he could provide natural gas to our Western European allies while simultaneously ending career jobs and energy independence on the Keystone XL pipeline, canceling Anwar, which you had finally opened up? Uh, why would he do that? And when you look at that, do you then think, well, is maybe are maybe the Bidens compromised by Vladimir Putin? I'll give you another example. You see the saber rattling. You see all these jets of the communist Chinese flying over Taiwan. They're talking about reunification with Taiwan. I haven't really heard much from Joe Biden about what the communist Chinese are doing, uh, clearly showing ambitions to take over Taiwan. Um, and what do they have in common? Billion-dollar deal with the Bank of China. No experience that I can see. He got a $100,000 shopping spree from a Chinese national. And in Russia, Hunter Biden got a $3.5 million deal with a Russian oligarch, the former first lady of Moscow. Now, if it was the last name was Trump, do you think that if you gave a waiver to Putin and you allowed the saber rattling of China over Taiwan and didn't do anything about it, uh, and your sons made millions of dollars and did billion dollar deals. Don't you think the media in this country would accuse you of being compromised by China and Russia? The media, the prosecutors, the Democratic radical left prosecutors that are all over the place uh, would be all over us. It is incredible what's taken place during the debate. I was not happy with Chris Wallace because he protected Joe. During the debate, I said, why is it that the mayor of Moscow's wife gave three and a half million dollars to the family? And Chris Wallace wouldn't let us wouldn't let him answer the question. He said, well, that's not pertinent. I said, I think it's pertinent. But, you know, it was a question we asked. Look, as far as Taiwan is concerned, we had an understanding, President Xi and I. We talked long and hard and pretty tough talk. They never did a thing on Taiwan. All of a sudden, they're flying 35, 40 bombers at a time over Taiwan. And they have their eyes on Taiwan. They never did that with me. We never had any problem with Taiwan. It was not a subject in the news. People thought someday it might be, but it was not during my watch. And President Xi understood that. We had a very good relationship until the China virus flowed in. Once that came in, it you know, it did a big number on the relationship. By the, way, yeah. by the way, Sean, very importantly, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars from China came into the United States that I instituted between taxes and tariffs and other things. And we gave $28 billion to our farmers because they didn't treat our farmers right. You know that. I gave $28 mm -hmm. billion and we had hundreds of billions of dollars left over that went into our treasury. We never took in 10 cents until I came along, 10 cents from China. Well, nobody had ever asked them. I mean, that was a point that you made often. But we now have Chinese warplanes have now violated Taiwan airspace uh, over 149 times in the past week. President Xi is talking about reunification, and he is threatening the United States, our, our military institution installations, Japan's military installations, and they're talking about reunification. If you were president, how would you handle that threat? Well, I did handle the threat for four years because there was no threat. 
And he and I understood you couldn't do it. That was not going to be allowed. And we had a very tough talk. And I'm not going to reveal the talk. We had a very tough talk together at Mar-a-Lago when he was here. Right at the beginning, the relationship was uh, really an extraordinary one until until COVID. But it was an extraordinary relationship that we had. And I had a great relationship with many of the leaders. But they weren't ripping our country off. Every country rips off the United States. I couldn't believe it. There wasn't a good deal that we had all over the world. That's why we have trillions and trillions of dollars of deficits. But we were changing all of that, making incredible deals. You know, you mentioned the pipeline. I got the pipeline from Russia to Europe shut down. And then Biden came in. One of the first things he did is he opened up that pipeline. But he shut down our pipeline, which is the Keystone XL pipeline, one of the biggest in the world. He shut that down and he allowed the biggest probably in the world from Russia into Europe and Germany in particular. It's uh, you can only ask him why. I can't tell you why. Doesn't make sense. But you can only ask him why. Well, I, I think the fact that maybe Hunter made all this money, you know, we, we just saw that the Libyans had a pretty good read on Hunter Biden. They knew about his drug addiction. They knew about his use of prostitutes. They had the book on them. Now, I would imagine that China that did the $1.5 billion deal and Russia, where he got $3.5 million, I would imagine their spy agencies, if Libya had it, they probably have a pretty good read on, on Hunter Biden and probably have compromising materials, to use the words that Adam Schiff made famous, uh, on the Bidens. Is that, a, is that a stretch on my part to suspect that what they know about Hunter could, in fact, impact Joe Biden? Well, it's not really my position to say. Uh, as you know, they have investigations going on, but those investigations are no going nowhere. They only investigate Republicans, frankly. Uh, those true. investigations are going absolutely nowhere. I wouldn't think you're going to wake up anytime soon and say, uh, look what they found. But uh, there was no question, whether it's paintings for $500,000 a piece, how do you allow? How does something like this happen? And that's not nearly as bad as other things, but that's going to be up to different people. You'd have to speak to them. It's terrible, terrible let situation. Me ask you, let me ask you, you know, it's interesting. Um, you had COVID almost a year ago. And if you go from Labor Day of 2020 to Labor Day this year, it was a 300% increase in cases of COVID. Yeah. Um, didn't get much reporting. Now this information is out today where more Americans have died this year of COVID-19 than died in all of 2020. He only mentioned monoclonal antibodies, which you received an infusion of very early, one of the first to receive it, Regeneron. Um, he only mentioned it for the first time two and a half weeks ago. Now, my question to you is, um, how is it that is so underreported? And you, I, I know you that there are people that believe in liberty and freedom, et cetera, but you did hand them off three vaccines and monoclonal antibodies as a therapeutic. Uh, how is it possible more people died this year when he was hammering you all last year about it? Well, you know, I was saying the other day, it was very interesting. During my administration, everybody wanted the vaccine. There was nobody saying, oh, gee, I don't want to take it. Now they say that, and that's because they don't trust the Biden administration. I can think of no other reason. But they say, we don't want it. 
we aren't going to take it. When I was there, everybody wanted it, and we were doing great. The military did a fantastic job. You know, outside of the television generals, we have great generals. We have great leadership in the military. They're great people, great men and women. We have unbelievable leadership. We'd fight, we defeated 100% of the ISIS caliphate in Iraq and Iran all over. But in Iraq, we knocked out the and by the way, we did Iran indirectly a very big favor because they're not big fans of ISIS either. But Syria, we knocked out a hundred percent and we knocked out the leadership and we knocked them out very strongly. We had great leaders, great generals, and they did a fantastic job of the distribution of the vaccine. But there were no people, very few people, I heard of no people that didn't want to take it. And with all of the things you've seen, and in fact, one of the things I'm very proud of, whether it's Regeneron or, or Eli Lilly or, you know, some of the things that we came up with is therapeutics. The therapeutics are incredible that we came up with in addition to the vaccines. And you say, how is it possible that your numbers are bigger now? But I don't read that the numbers are bigger now. You hardly hear it. If that were me, it would be brutal because we did an incredible job on the pandemic, an incredible job. The ventilators, we became the world's supplier of ventilators, the masks, the gowns, we make it all now. The cupboards were bare. When I took over as president, our cupboards were bare. We didn't have anything. And now, and that included the states. We helped the states. And if the governors are honest, they'll tell you what a great job the federal government did in terms of helping them get the equipment and the material they needed to fight this. But you're right. It's worse now. There are more cases now, but you don't hear the news at all. You don't see death counts on CNN. You don't see any of that. It's an incredible job that we did. We have been given no credit. But you know what? The people know. And we got 75 million votes. That's more votes than any sitting president in history. And 12 million more than we did in 2016. That's a record. Nobody came close to that. Usually a president gets less in the second term. People know what a good job we did. People know what a good job we did, Sean. Well, Biden is actually out there saying he started the vaccination program, even though you had rolled it out. Let me go back to the economy. There's estimates out now that because of Biden inflation, which is now at a 30-year high, according to some indicators, and we now have the average American household is paying $175 more a month. That's $2,100 of Biden inflation tax, if you will, on every single American household. You see gas prices now uh, up dramatically, 50% from when you were president not that long ago. Food prices are up. Raw materials are up. Inflation is through the roof. Um, if they pass this new Green Deal socialism, where, where do you see the economy headed? Because I don't see good things happening. We've tried this before. It's been it's called socialism, and it always fails. Yeah. The promises are unfulfilled. More poverty exists in the end, and you give up a lot of freedom in the name of false security. So the $1.2 trillion is about 9%. Think of that. 9%. They talk about infrastructure. This is 9% infrastructure. should be 100% infrastructure. So that is a total shame. And then the 3.5, which a lot of people are saying is 5 trillion. These are numbers that have never been discussed before with any president. Nobody would do it because it's crippling 
to the economy. Most of it is money you could throw right out the window. It's going to be devastating. And then inflation has kicked in. And remember this, with energy going up like that, you know, if you have a product and you need trucks or you need whatever it is to deliver it, you need energy. So with energy being double and triple what it was just a few months ago, when we were there, $1.87 a gallon, and now it's over $5 a gallon. That's a lot more than 50%. When energy goes up like that, Sean, uh, it, everything is affected in terms of inflation. It has a huge inflationary impact on this country. And I was here with Jimmy Carter when Jimmy Carter went out and did what he was doing. And a lot of it was similar, but on a much smaller scale. We had inflation. And it was almost ruining for our country. It almost ruined our country. But this is much more severe. And what they're doing is changing the social fabric of our country. It's, a, it's not even believable. Bernie Sanders can't believe it. Bernie Sanders goes around telling people, I can't believe what this is, what's happening here. Uh, AOC and a very tiny group of people are pushing an agenda that will destroy Literally, it'll ruin our country between the borders, between you look at a withdrawal from Afghanistan. You take a look at that where we have wonderful warriors killed so needlessly and leave the Americans behind. And we leave $85 billion worth of equipment behind. The military comes out first and we leave the Afghanistan. We could have gone out with dignity, with pride and with strength. And instead, we look like, to the whole world, we look like we don't know what we're doing. We look like we surrendered to people with knives. Should we get rid of these vaccine mandates, sir? Well, you know, we never heard the term mandate, but people have to have their freedoms. And we should be in a great shape between the people that get it. They should not have to. If you get COVID or whatever you want to call it, plenty of names, Wuhan virus, the China virus, you could call it a, we got plenty of names. But when you get it, you don't, you shouldn't have to be forced. They want to force people who have had it to have the vaccine. When in actuality, when you have it, you don't need the vaccine. You become immune, so they say. And it's rare natural that you immunity. get it twice. It is, ask- a, it is a natural immunity. Why are they forcing people to take the vaccine? Remember this. The drug companies make a lot of money, and they like it. I don't know who else wants it or likes it, but when you get it, you don't have to take the vaccine. It's sad that we're even firing frontline nurses and healthcare workers that were diving on yeah. COVID grenades every day in the worst moments of this. Let me ask you about the IRS spying on Americans uh, on $600 transactions, which is ridiculous. And I want to ask you that in light of Merrick Garland now uh, and his new effort to to empower the FBI to literally look at moms and dads at school board meetings, uh, looking into possible uh, domestic terrorism. I I would think local police could be called in if there's a problem. Uh, but then we find out that Merrick Garland, the attorney general's son-in-law, is a partner of this this firm, Panorama, that's making millions of dollars in contracts with school districts pushing critical race theory, which is w- part of the reason many parents are complaining or, or COVID restrictions. What is your reaction to that? 
Well, you're just telling me the last part. Uh, I didn't know that. But, uh, you know, look, he's a respected man. I hope he's going to do what's right. This country is at a breaking point. This country is not going to stand for it any longer. But he's somebody that uh, has always been highly respected. He happens to be on the liberal side of things. And hopefully he'll do what's right. But, John, uh, the country can't take much more of it. They can't. They can't do it. When you the look at those school boards, those school bears, those are parents. Those are parents that love their country and they love their children. And they don't want all of this nonsense that's been being fed to their children. They're not they just don't want it. And, you know, they're just trying to make them out to be terrorists. It's actually they use the term today. I saw it today that they're terrorists. Uh, the uh, the Taliban, they're terrorists. We gave them a lot. You know, we're we're trying. They're trying to approve ten billion dollars a year to go to Afghanistan. Ten billion a year to the Taliban. On top of everything else, on top of the eighty-five billion dollars worth of equipment, it's going to be in our budget, and we don't have other countries contributing to pay ten billion dollars a year to the Taliban, which is Afghanistan. I mean, how crazy is this? Let me ask you this. I, I, and I get, I've gotten asked this question about you a lot. People know that I've known you for many years. Um, we've, we've been friends for a long time. I knew you long before you ran, over 25 years. And they say, I agree with the president's policies and I want him to run again in 2024, but maybe if he could just fight a little less. Now, I don't know what that means. I guess if they want you to fight for issues like the border and lower taxes and and energy independence and free and fair trade deals and fight our enemies. And I don't know if they expect to have a switch that would go off and say, OK, I'm now I'm going to be Mr. Nice to the media that's asking me hostile questions. But but I do get asked the question a lot. If you is is there anything that stylistically, when people complain about style, that you you would say to them? Well, remember this. Uh, when I got elected, I thought I would be running the country. And I thought that would be my primary function, run the country, defend the country, all of the typical things. But I had another thing I had to do, and that was survival. Uh, they created a mm -hmm. fake Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. They had fake impeachments, two fake impeachments. Where the Republicans were great, I have to say they stuck with us and they were great, but they were fake charges, a perfect phone call. Nobody ever got it, could even imagine it was a perfect phone call. The whole thing was yeah. fake, and I had to survive. And to survive, you had to be tough and you had to be out there. You didn't have time to be necessarily dainty and nice. And <laughs> we did a great job. We created the greatest the economy way, we, in the we, history of the world. We, on this program, debunked the Russia hoax myth, and we got it right. It took us three years to get to the bottom of all of it. Uh, Mr. President, you've been very generous with your time. These are troubled times for the American people. Um, I know that the forgotten man and woman was a big theme in 2016, and I'm sure if right. you do run in 2024, it'll be a big theme of yours again. We appreciate your time. That's sir. right. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Okay, well, there you have it, guys. Some will love it, some will hate it, and some will be on the fence about it. But uh, that was the latest interview from President Trump with one Sean Hannity, covering a spectrum of uh, topics as they moved along. And um, yeah, 
Uh, a lot of the same things that I'm sure that we will be hearing as uh, we progress forward into 2022. Uh, it's my hope that we won't have to progress too much further. So this way we can uh, get our uh, country back, have elections that need to be decertified, decertified, have fraud that needs to be fixed, fixed, have justice that needs to be served, served. Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. Um, all right. Thanks again for tuning in tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Tune the pink. Thank you for gifting the can. Welcome in. Welcome in. And Nat Hemdy, thank you for the phone. Uh, Mr. C, love you so much. Love you back, ma'am. Thank you so much for being part of the audience. And oh, ooh. could that not have happened five minutes ago? Whew. Okay, excuse me. Pardon me. All right, uh, so with that, let's jump into the rest of today's news because it is already the top of the second, the first half hour. Yeah, half hour? Anyways, okay. Uh, moving right along. Oh my God, who's this man? Okay, so uh, first topic for tonight is going to have to deal with uh, United States business and communists, uh, sometimes referred to as Marxists. I'm sure they like their little petty differences, but uh, ultimately it's all in the same vein of politics uh, in this case, we see that we have uh, this man here. His name is Richard Adkerson. Richard Adkerson. He is the CEO of a business called Freeport McMorrin Incorporated. This is the chief executive officer. And uh, it appears that uh, just today um, he had some words to say uh, and some feelings to be had about a conversation that he had with Peruvian president Pedro Castillo in regards to taxation and corruption in the world's second largest copper producing country. Now there you see is one Pedro Castillo. He is the dirty little communist that won the uh, election there in Peru this past uh, summer. That is you know, a few months ago, not last summer. And uh, that was uh, not to say that there was not a lot of controversy uh, where here again, in the case of this communist um, president taking the election of Peru, uh, there was a lot of controversy about what? Mail-in ballots? About what? Election fraud? Hmm. Well, uh, Mr. Castillo, he is a member of a Marxist-Leninist party, and uh, they swept into office again during the summer on a promise to increase the mining industry taxes. And he also hinted at nationalizing Peru's natural gas sector and a key mining industry supplier. Adkerson, the businessman from America, said that he and Castillo held a listening session as part of the last month's United Nations General Assembly. While the two did not discuss specific policies, as I'm sure they can't since he's a communist, Adkerson said he advised Castillo to fight corruption and also craft a tax re re regime that allows mining companies to remain in the country. Adkerson uh, told an FT mining conference, we're very concerned about the political situation that's emerged in Peru. Nah, you don't say, Mr. Adkinson, Adkerson, you don't say we're not concerned about uh, communists taking over the second largest mining industry in the world. And even though we don't even care about that, we just don't want communists running anything. But uh, needless to say, 
Adkerson, while he was concerned about the political situation over there, he says that uh, what we are doing is to see if we can play with fire and not get burnt. Just kidding. He didn't say that, but he might as well have. He did say uh, what we are doing is to see if we can find a way to work forward cooperatively. He says he was encouraged by their initial conversation. Yeah, communists can trick you like that, Mr. Adkerson. I don't know if you knew that. They come off like they're your friends and they're your normal everyday people, right? And then before you know it, they are taking all of your things and uh, shooting you in the head. Separately, Adkerson said Freeport would pause investment decisions in Chile while that country debates raising copper royalty rates. So uh, this Freeport McMoran company that Adkerson is a CEO of is a, a type of mining company. And apparently, so he can get in with the communists, he's going to stiff the Chileans. I'm sure that won't look good in the world of, uh, you know, international business, at least for those in Chile. And uh, probably doesn't look good on us either. Adkerson also said Chinese copper demand remains strong despite recent debt concerns. Is that what we're calling them? Debt concerns? Okay. Uh, Edgerson says, I still have a lot of confidence in China's macroeconomics situation for the long term. And in the United States, uh, one of Freeport's major growth regions, Adkerson, said he does not expect President-select Biden's administration to prioritize mine development over environmental and social concerns. Some in the mining industry have encouraged Biden to approve more mines, regardless of community objections. But Reuters reported earlier this year that Biden will rely on ally countries for EV metal supplies. You're not going to have a U.S. government that steps in and puts a priority for metals above these other objectives, says Adkerson. It's all got to be worked out. And uh, was a little interested in what this uh, Freeport McMoran company was. So just pulled up their website. You know, apparently that's all that they are. They do this uh, copper and vital energy. Let me go to the main page here. I don't know how it got there. Freeport, foremost in copper. So they're a copper company. Um, I guess they are uh, uh, international it's the a leading international mining company. I apologize. Let me expand that. Leading international mining company with headquarters in Phoenix, Arizona, incorporated under the laws of the state of Delaware in 87. They operate large, long-lived, geographically diverse assets with significant proven and pro probable reserves of copper, gold, and molybdenum. Our portfolio of assets includes the Grassberg Minerals District in Indonesia, um, and significant mining operations in the Americas, including a large-scale Morency Minerals District in North America and the Cerro Verde operation in South America. So, yeah, there you go. Big business getting in bed with communists here in America. Uh, aren't there, shouldn't there be some, aren't there any laws about that, ladies and gentlemen? I would think that there are. Um, but what uh, I guess Mr. McMore, uh, Mr. McMore, Mr. Adkison of Freeport McMoran doesn't realize is that over there in Peru, they already have a big uprising against the Chinese business influence that is invading their country. Um, and I guess uh, Mr. Adkison may not be aware of this, but uh, there have been several indigenous group uprisings in Peru in regards to Chinese mining in their country. 
Most recently, we had an indigenous group that said it would indefinitely block a key mining road in the Espinar province of Peru until its demands are met. Peruvian President Pedro Castillo quickly sacked his prime minister in response to the blockade. And uh, Guido Bellido was the name of his prime minister, Guido Bellido. And uh, word on the street about Guido Bellido is that uh, even though uh, Pedro is a uh, Marxist-Leninist communist, his uh, prime minister, Guido Bellido, was further left than Castillo. So uh, they might have uh, gotten out of some big trouble with uh, this um, uh, prime minister being sacked by Castillo. Uh, but anyhow, it says here, uh, his government announced to deal uh, to satisfy other indigenous groups that have uh, had also been blocking the Chinese-owned mines. Now, the group in Espinar apparently decided to shut down its mining road after Castillo's government announced a deal with the Chumbi Vilcas, which is an indigenous group that began blocking mining roads owned by China's MMG Corporation way before this Espinar group. <laughs> Back in September, uh, the deal with the Chumbi Vicas, a leader in Lima, Peru, reportedly includes more jobs for the community, including mineral transportation contracts and more compensation for land around the mine. The indigenous community also demanded a halt to short-sighted trucking practices that damage local crops by driving heavy vehicles over dirt roads a problem that Peru's mining minister proposed addressing with a new rail line. Ah, uh, yes, second world problems. Ah, but yes, these are problems nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen. Peru is the world's number two source of copper after Chile, and MMG's huge La Bamba mine supplies about 2% uh, of the world's copper demand by itself. And uh, copper prices rose significantly on the international exchanges Thursday in response to possibly uh, supply disruptions from Peru. Very interesting, guys. Very interesting. And uh, so uh, Castillo is going to have to deal with his um, uh, people uprising because, uh, you know, making, uh, what is that, uh, exporting your uh, work and your resources and importing uh, other countries to do the jobs that uh, these people could do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, doesn't look good for the people of Peru, that's for sure. Particularly if these communists get, uh, you know, that taste for blood. Oh, good afternoon, good evening, uh, DJ Ping254, as well as DJ Miss Kit. Welcome in to the show. Thanks for joining us over there at Twitch. Hope you're doing well. And uh, hope everyone is well at the moment. Let's jump into Mexico. What do we got going on in Mexico? It appears that Mexico and the United States have drawn up an outline for a new security framework. What does that mean exactly? Well, we have high-level delegations from Mexico and the United States today laying out the outlines of a new security framework between the nations called or so-called the U.S.-Mexico Bicentennial Framework for Security, Public Health, and Safe Communities doesn't quite have the ring as the USMCA, right? But uh, it does say here that through this initiative, uh, they seek to move beyond the 13-year-old Merida initiative 
focused on building Mexico's crime-fighting capabilities and rule of law projects. So uh, this actually has to do with uh, crime-fighting and defense here. Uh, let's see. On uh, let's see, United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken had this to say. He said, "It's time for a comprehensive approach to our security cooperation, one that will see as uh, see us as equal partners in defining our shared priorities, tackle the root drivers of these challenges like inequity, like corruption, and focus not only on strengthening law enforcement but also public health, the rule of law." inclusive economic opportunities, things that I personally don't believe uh, they're really, uh, you know, concerned about in regards to whether it's our government or even the government of Mexico, as uh, we will see as we move along in this uh, article. I mean, first of all, I mean, if his main concern is inequity, yeah, there's probably some other systemic root problems that they could take care of before signing on to this brand new uh, deal, the USMBFRSPHSSC. What kind of an acronym is that? Anyways, <laughs> this guy here who kind of looks like President Bolsonaro, but is not. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, Mexico Foreign Affairs Secretary. His name is Marcelo Ebrard. But uh, it, uh, he puts it more succinctly in regards to this uh, new deal that they're striking up together, apparently to uh, bring, uh, bring stronger security to Mexico, says, uh, uh, goodbye Medida and welcome Bicentennial Agreement. Uh, the uh, first substantive differences is that the Medida initiative was, from the point of view of Mexico, focused on the thesis that the cartel capos had to be captured and that that was sufficient. That's according to Ebrard. But now what they're saying is that was never enough. Why are we just going to go after the heads of the cartel? It's not like they're a beehive. It's not like they're an ant mound, right? You can't just kill the head of the cartel and expect everyone to disband in a state of confusion. <laughs> That's so silly. Oh, Medida, what were you thinking? Now, uh, it wasn't enough to do that. That Now they see that they have to pay attention to expanding opportunities for youth. Now, I don't know about that. Uh, expanding opportunities for what? Youth capture and, uh, you know, uh, exploitation? I mean, our border is pretty wide open. It seems to me that uh, Mexico and the Biden regime stand to make a lot of money off of that open border. In fact, uh, yeah, I'm <sighs> you kidding me? They're probably, you, we have Madonna crawling across the desk of late night talk shows, ladies and gentlemen, in her plumped up golden years, like she's high on adrenochrome. Clearly, the child exploitation has gotten up again, that Madonna has gotten enough strength to uh, flash her. <laughs> we'll save it for Mr. C in the dark. Okay. Sorry, guys. Anyways, so uh, going on here, it's <laughs> she's back. And uh, man, it's not a pretty sight. Um, so yes, uh, they see this as being a great opportunity to expand uh, youth and treat addiction. Uh, the success of that would go... Um, 
to be measured in fewer homicides by Mexico and uh, less drug consumption. So that's going to be their measuring stick here. The two governments' joint declaration devoted a, a considerable space to treating drug addiction, especially opioids, and its societal effects in the public health context. A significant departure from Medida's emphasis on the criminal justice system. So they're going to shift emphasis from, um, you know, criminal justice system uh, from, uh, um, I guess I would, this would entail training, uh, you know, equipping, um, um, hiring, you know, um, security forces, um, police forces in Mexico to take on these jobs, to take on the cartel. But now they want to focus to children and addiction treatment. I mean, um, it sounds good on paper. Um, but, but when it comes to Mexico and the drugs, ladies and gentlemen, the United States pledged to devote more resources to identify and treat people affected by opioids. And uh, Mexico committed to working with the United Nations to launch a program to better manage shipping containers for children, to limit the important importation of chemical precursors uh, for synthetic drugs like fentanyl. Um, Mexico seized an estimated 1.3 tons of synthetic opioid last year, and the same year, the United States recorded 93,000 drug overdose deaths. Uh, so we're talking about during the pandemic, right, when everyone was getting a free government paycheck, didn't have to go to work, and can waste all their money on drugs and dying? I'm sure that that's not, uh, what do you call it? a symptom of this um, a genuinely manufactured disease turned into a planned pandemic, right? Has nothing to do with that. That wasn't the plan. That was just a consequence of releasing a genuinely manufactured disease onto the world and into America. Anyhow, um, let's see here. The governments have committed to targeting importers of chemical precursors for fentanyl and methamphetamine. Um, and uh, they also said that they would work together to reduce the trafficking of guns, a high priority uh, for violence racked Mexico, and to provide more opportunities for youth to be human trafficked. Just kidding. It says uh, to make it harder for criminal organizations to recruit them. Uh, it sounds like they're going to uh, take away a lot of investment into actually fighting crime and put a lot of investment into social programs that will probably grow crime while at the same time leaving the cartels with nothing to worry about. Because after all, they're not specifically going to be going after their leaders or their members or anything like that. Doesn't sound like a good plan to me at all. Sounds like something that was hatched out of the Tehachapi of one illegitimate Joe Biden. Now, that there, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, President AMLO. Uh, yes, he gets one of those snazzy Hollywood American names also. Uh, but President AMLO, otherwise known as by his uh, Catholic Christian name, President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, um, he, uh, he feels that this new emphasis away from the cartels and onto social programs fits right in line with his hugs, not bullets refrain. <laughs> and, uh, he has a stated uninterest in pursuing the leaders of Mexico's cartels, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, it seems like President Trump was the only world leader that could keep this uh, perra in, uh, you know, in, in control, keep him on the leash. But apparently not anymore. AMLO is uh, like, yep, I'm in line with the drug cartels. We ain't going to be hunting them down. We just want some more money for some more youth programs. And uh, don't forget to send some over to the shipping container yard. We need to uh, expand our work there as well. Jesus Christ, AMLO, pardon me, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, what are we seeing here? Are we seeing between the lines? Now, both sides are expected to discuss the role of U.S. agents in Mexico and also intelligence sharing. The government of Mexico and the United States have had a bit of a rocky history. Um, and uh, they, they insist that uh, they have these discussions about security agencies and that they work closely together on a daily basis. That is particularly after the United States arrested the former Mexican defense secretary, a man by the name of Salvador Cienfuegos, which uh, translated is um, uh, 100 Fires Salvation, or maybe Salvation of the 100 Fires. I don't know. That's an interesting name. Uh, but uh, they uh, arrested this man, Salvador Cienfuegos, <laughs> or is that 100 Strengths? I don't know. I get the two confused. Uh, he looks pretty crazy, though, doesn't he, guys? Um, uh, United States had to release this man after Mexico's loud protests and tensions persisted in this regard. Now, Cienfuegos was arrested after he was secretly indicted by a federal grand jury in New York in 2019, and he was accused of conspiring with the H2 cartel to smuggle thousands of kilos of cocaine, heroin, methamphetamines, and marijuana while he was defense secretary between 2012 and 2018. With Cien Fuegos back, Mexico said that it would perform its own investigation, but that investigation was quickly closed. Lopez Obrador, President AMLO, attacked United States prosecutors' case against the general and accused the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, of fabricating the case. Mexico restricted United States agents working in the country and lifted their diplomatic immunity. Now, at a breakfast with both delegations this morning, Lopez Obrador said it would be very unfortunate if we did not understand each other. If our cooperation, the friendship between our governments and our people wasn't strengthened. That sounds like a veiled threat to me, guys. And it concludes that uh, they have a goal of three years to work on this plan. And they want it ready by the end of January. The plan, I mean. So uh, what do you guys think about that? Looks like Mexico is back on the backslide into uh, corruption. I mean, uh, I, it seemed like they were pulling their heads out of the ground during President Trump's administration. That they were making moves and probably that was a lot of threats that they were getting. They were afraid of tariffs. They were afraid that they would no longer have the support of President Trump and the United States. And uh, probably that we would take the rest of their jobs, our, our jobs back, not their jobs. We would take the rest of our jobs back. <sighs> oh, Biden, Biden, Biden. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Good evening, Speak and Easy. How are you doing tonight? 
Thank you for gifting the cookie, my friend, the bartender. Welcome in, Deborah Erdman. How are you doing? Good evening. Casual Gigi, good evening, good evening. Glad to have you with us. As always, friends, Romans, countrymen, we're quite excited to have you present here. Sean Joe, thank you, sir, for the, the uh, cookie, additional cookie there. All right. Keeping that cookie jar full. Much appreciated. Okay, let's see here. Um, Casual G says weak, not showing here. Did I do wrong? What's not showing there? Give me a five by five, Casual GG. <laughs> okay, let's go on to our next story for tonight. We only got, what, uh, two topics left to cover. We're going to talk about Australia. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, Australia under lock and key. As we all know, Australia has been in such a situation, the longest lockdown in world history. The winner of this Guinness Book of World Records um, victory goes to Australia uh, because they have been, uh, they, they are still under lockdown. They are still uh, seeing revolts. They are still seeing protests. Uh, they are still seeing uh, the citizens uh, getting angry and standing against the police. Uh, here's a good example. Some of you guys may have seen this video. It's not long, but uh, it, it is an interesting clip. I think about, uh, I don't know, kind of, kind of weird and dystopic is uh, the label this uh, video was given. Kind of play that in the background. So, um, yeah, that is, uh, that's just a scene for the, those on the podcast. What we were looking at was uh, what it appears to be um, a protest in, um, uh, in progress uh, and a bunch of, uh, or, or perhaps it was just a day at the park there in sunny old Australia where um, uh, dozens of uh, police and uh, dozens of uh, free-thinking, uh, freedom-loving individuals are out and they're being chased and running around is kind of what it looks like. That is uh, not a fun time, I'm sure, if you are uh, down in Australia. And uh, not the only, not the only things that we're seeing. Now, we're not going to be playing a whole bunch of footage tonight from the protests in Australia. Indeed, they are still occurring um, and the numbers are only growing. And uh, again, what we're seeing here uh, quite frequently is the um, people actually rising up against the police. But now, while there is this type of activity still occurring in Australia, let's not uh, deny that fact. Uh, we are seeing less and less footage of it, including uh, by news outlets in the main uh, from Australia, and of course, to all those uh, propaganda outlets that pump out all of this information across the world, no one's really covering what's going on in Australia. No one wants to. Uh, no one wants to light up the world with what would be a precursor 
to what many of us countries in the Western world, which is actually quite astonishing if you think about it, like uh, Western world is going into dictatorial draconian lockdown before, uh, you know, any other sectors of this world. That is, uh, that should cause one's jaw to drop. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this is what it looks like when you have a pandemic lockdown that is being um, forced upon the people by a government tyranny. Um, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about why the government might be motivated to do such things. I mean, after all, ladies and gentlemen, is this not in the name of the greater good? Is this not in the name of protecting your neighbor? Is this not just to make other people feel comfortable that we have to wear these masks and stay in our homes and uh, be forced to take these uh, gene therapy inoculations? Well... There's a little bit more to it than that, and uh, though a lot of us have been um, awake and aware uh, and on uh, the front side of this curve, uh, the rest of the world seems to be catching up. They're about, I don't know, a year and a half behind the rest of us when we're talking about uh, the real causes of this coronavirus disease 2019, as well as um, uh, what is going on with the uh, gene therapy inoculations and the um, uh, spike, spike protein blood clotting vaccines that they are giving to people. And the rush, the uh, absolute rush that uh, all governments seem to be in to get everyone inoculated uh, behind, or I should say in front of the uh, fake planned pandemic scare and the resurgence of variants that they created themselves. I mean, a lot said there and a lot to mull over. Uh, but uh, in Australia, again, this is the result of such activities. Now, uh, we did have um, a Tucker Carlson, a Tucker Carlson, um, actually did an interview with, um, with an Aussie police officer, Australian police officer, um, actually, uh, the director of policy at the Institute of Public Affairs in Melbourne, uh, joined Tucker on his show to talk about how, um, the Australian police are urging the government to issue no-fly zones over Melbourne, and I'm sure that this would probably account for also other city centers in Australia, so that people will not see how massive the anti-government protests are. Because ladies and gentlemen of the um, audience, uh, this is uh, quickly grown from anti-vax and anti-lockdown measures in protest to anti-government, as uh, the truth regarding the motives of the Australian government are starting to become evident. Let's see what they had to say about this instance. That comment, the one you just saw about the New World Order, got barely any coverage at all. In fact, all the footage we showed you today is mostly being ignored in the United States. Why? Because it's possible what's happening in Australia might be instructive to us in the United States. In just two years, the Australian police went from raiding newsrooms to beating people in the streets. So maybe the lesson is things can change very quickly. One moment, 
The English-speaking world is mocking China for being dystopian and autocratic. The next moment, they're aping China and hunting people down who are two blocks from their own homes and smoking a cigarette. Gideon Rosner has been watching very closely what's happening in Australia. He's the director of policy at the Institute of Public Affairs in Melbourne. He joins us tonight. Gideon, thanks so much for coming on. Well, great I, to be here, Tucker. These images are shocking to Americans, most of whom, as you know, have great affection for Australia and think of Australians as kind of our cousins. I know a lot of Australians don't like us, but we do like them. Um, but mostly they're shocking because this is not the behavior of a free country. What happened? No, it's not the behaviour of a free country, uh, Tucker, and I don't think it's possible to say that Australia right now is a functioning liberal democracy in many ways. The fact of the matter is the coronavirus has completely changed the relationship between government and citizen in this country. It has overwhelmed every check and balance in our system. It has uh, upended every single norm almost of democratic governance. Uh, this is uh, a radically new Error that we've seen in Australia. We, as you have said, we have seen images of pol police uh, lunging at unarmed protesters in counter-terrorism equipment. Where we've seen during Melbourne protests that the, the police in my home state of Victoria asked the federal uh, civil aviation authorities to declare a no-fly zone over Melbourne so that commercial media outlets couldn't film the protesters in case people saw how big they were and went down and, and joined in uh, the protest and, and started marching as well. That is an extraordinary step for any government to take, the police censoring the broadcast media, and it has been in the main accepted. Um, opinion is changing now, 18 months later, but in the main, it has not raised the kind of protest that uh, we should have seen uh, because of the way in which our authorities here in Australia have instilled such fear into the population uh, about this virus. I, I wish we had more time, but quickly, are there any nationally known political leaders who are fighting back against this? There are a small number of libertarians in the state. There's one, uh, David Limbrick, in my state parliament of Victoria. But in the main, uh, in the main, no, there, are, there, there seems to be a bipartisan consensus on this uh, between both major parties. So uh, we, we remain in this holding pattern for some time. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any political will to end the situation uh, quickly. And in the meantime, as you said, we are we are continually being uh, given this. We're becoming used to this idea that freedoms are not an inherent right. They are a, a gift from the government or a privilege that we get back in, in, in exchange for staying at home, following the rules, as they say in Australia, or as you said, getting vaccinated. It is a very, very bad precedent because even after Corona, Tucker, we have to ask ourselves what the next emergency will be and well, the next one after that. That's and exactly if it can happen right. in Australia, it can happen anywhere. That is all demonstrably true. They will never relinquish this power voluntarily, ever. I appreciate your, your clear and honest voice in this. Gideon, thank you very much. Thank you, Tucker. All right, so there you go. Uh, police uh, censoring um, um, broadcast media. Interesting, but uh, like we said, that's what uh, you can expect whenever you have uh, an allowance of your uh, elected government to get into extreme overreach like that. So they're looking at, and uh, he even said himself, these protests could be a lot bigger, but they're clamping down on what's happening in Australia. So that's some, definitely a coordinated effort in that regard. And, uh, and then we also have this um, guy over here. He looks friendly, doesn't he? Uh, that is Lieutenant General Frewin. 
Uh, Lieutenant General Frowen is a senior officer in the Australian Defense Force, and he's also currently seconded to Operation COVID Shield as Coordinator General. And he remains an officer of the Australian Defense Force. Now, this guy is basically uh, in charge of making sure everything COVID rolls out. It's not his job to get moody about it. It's just his job to do it. Those are his words himself. He had, uh, in regards to the entire uh, everyone needs to get vaccinated mandate that's rolling out across of uh, Australia. And let's not let's not uh, be confused. Obviously, we're talking about the gene therapy inoculations when we say that. But uh, he has he has a promise in regards to the percentage rates that they will see. Uh, he definitely looks like the kind of man that can get his uh, get his way with things and uh, move things forward. I don't know. Uh, will he be successful? Let's see what his opinion was. I'll make sure that everybody gets a dose by Christmas. I'll uh, make sure that we put everything in place that we can to get to 70 as fast as we can. And then once we've got to 70, we'll have a look at working to get to 80. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to make sure everyone has a dose by Christmas. And uh, by the way it looks of it, you have all of those cops running out and just... Uh, Tramping, trampling all over the rights of their fellow uh, countrymen, trampling all over the rights symbolically of everyone else in the world. Like uh, one has to wonder when these individuals will reach that point where they can no longer harm, or at least they realize that they are bringing harm to their fellow human and not just uh, cashing a paycheck and uh, making sure that they have security. So there you go. There's a little bit more of this, uh, how you say, um, um, overreach of power, this tyranny, a little bit more of this um, uh, force of hand by way of the government. Then you also have uh, the entire selfie stick, not selfie stick, I apologize, the entire selfie app that's been launched in Australia. We have that uh, coming out of, it looks like, um, what do we have here? We've got it in uh, Victoria. And uh, we've also had it in a New South Wales and South Australia, where they have been uh, they have been uh, test running these apps. And it was actually just released on Australian news uh, that these would be uh, required. Um, and this one comes from uh, News Nine Australia. Uh, let's see uh, what they have to say. Very interesting developments. Imagine if that were a will become a crucial part of home quarantine. It will, Peter. As of today, the call has gone out to everyone in home quarantine in Victoria to take part of our, our pilot program. And what that means is that they will receive random phone calls and they have to answer uh, within five minutes with a, a selfie sent to this app, which will then geo-track uh, where the, that person is and to make sure that they are who they say they are as well. If they don't answer within that five-minute period, that's when health officers come knocking. Remember, stay safe, sane, and sanitized. Okay, I don't know what that last bit was all about. But, uh, hey, it was a bit to be sure. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, so yeah, so that's another thing that they're going to have to contend with over there. You just see how it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. 
to be in Australia. Um, I don't know how much longer these people can take what is happening to them. Indeed, um, uh, as Tucker had said, uh, that uh, uh, these people will never relinquish power of their own accord. So either the people are going to have to stand up or some kind of intervention is going to have to take place. And in the case of one, uh, of one uh, premier, premier of South Wales, the name of Gladys Birshikin, saying her name wrong, Birshiklian, uh, Birshiklian, Gladys is her first name. Uh, it seems like that um, divine intervention might have just hit it. Uh, now, um, Gladys Birshiklian uh, is probably been uh, the strongest proponent of lockdowns and lockdown measures and forcing the people of her New South Wales state to uh, be under the rung and the boot of these COVID tyrants. Uh, she's stepping down for particular reasons. Now, uh, to kind of expand to those reasons, let's uh, talk about possible good guys over in Australia as um, the uh, gentleman that was being interviewed by uh, Tucker Carlson had stated, uh, and that man, of course, was, um, was a Gideon Rossner. Uh, he being the director of policy at the Institute of Public Affairs in Melbourne, uh, so that there's a few a few uh, good guys out there, a few uh, political leaders, but they're not in the main, and uh, they are not uh, well supported. Um, one of those good guys, I would suppose, is this man here. Now, uh, this guy's name is, um, let's see here, what's your name, buddy? Uh, this is Clive Palmer. And uh, he is leader of the United Australia Party. Uh, I wanted to do a little bit of digging into the United Australia Party before we talked about them. So we may at some point in the future, as I kind of figure out uh, if these guys are Australia first conservative patriots or if they are something else. Uh, some of their platforms raised a few red flags, but either way, um, Clive Palmer is a former Australian member of Parliament, and uh, he says that Pfizer and AstraZeneca actually paid lobbyists to direct Australia's leaders to push for vaccine mandates. Yet another interesting coupling of business and state, it would seem. Um, now, uh, he said, uh, of course, that these two pharmaceutical companies were paying lobbyists to direct Australia's leaders to push vaccine mandates. And um, he also claimed that New South Wales Premier Gladys Birgiklian was told that she would not be charged in a corruption probe if she imposed the mandates. Hmm. Palmer made these statements a couple of weeks ago, but it has only garnered attention this past week after uh, it seems that Gladys Birgiklian has resigned in a disgrace following a corruption probe. So was she double-crossed or is the justice system actually working in Australia amid all of this lockdown lunacy? Two weeks ago, Palmer said Pfizer and AstraZeneca were paying lobbyists tens of millions of dollars 
to direct Australia's liberal leaders to push the double jab. According to Palmer, uh, Birjiklian, who was under a corruption probe by the ICAC at the time, was told if she imposed strict lockdowns and vaccine mandates, she would not be charged. Shortly before she resigned, she told Sydney residents that if they don't take the COVID jab, they face total social isolation indefinitely after the stay-at-home order ends in December. Let's see what uh, this man had to say, because he had some things to say, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And, uh, well, here comes the man from Down Under, otherwise known as Clive Palmer. Let's see what's on his mind. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. We meet today in in a city known for its strength in a country with citizens known for their courage. And we've never needed more courage and resilience with a crisis facing Australia. Today, I want to just run through a few things which I think the public should be aware of and their right to know. But before I do, I want to pay homage to Craig Kelly and the excellent leadership he's provided the nation. He's been the primary person responsible for what it is today, 46,000 Australians joining our party. And it's pretty clear that within the next month, we'll have the largest membership of any political party in Australia. And certainly in my 50 year year experience in politics as as a former director of the um, Nationals and Liberal Party and a life member of those parties, I've never seen or experienced so many people join a party so quickly. I think when we set up the LNP, the most people that joined the party was 685 in one day. When Craig Kelly announced that he was our leader in the party, our membership went up by 5,000 people in 24 hours. So that's an indication that people in Australia are not happy. They're not happy with their politicians. They're not happy with what they're doing. But today I want to talk about John Skerritt from the TGA. I want to respond to an article that was written by David Crow in the Sydney Morning Herald on Friday, where he said that the TGA was considering... Uh, legal action or criminal charges against our leader, Craig Kelly, um, for a tweet that he put out. And that tweet was authorised. He authorised the tweet on behalf of the United Australia Party and as chairman of that party, I'm here now to to explain to you what it was. Uh, first of all, what was tweeted was a copy of the TGA's own report, which I think is all being circulated here. You've got a copy of it. It was a government report. So it's an extraordinary situation where you've got a a member of the Australian House of Representatives being attacked for doing nothing more than circulating a government report. First of all, the United Australia Party welcomes any legal action against Mr Kelly. We look forward to it as an opportunity when John Serrett himself can be subpoenaed, can be asked the questions about the 483 Australians that have died after having the vaccine, Uh, can, can be asked to say for the court and for the Australian people what were their causes of death, And what did the TGA do to investigate that? And why is it justified to continue the rollout? Secondly, we can ask Mr Skerrick on oath about the 46,000 adverse reports that his office has received, about what he's done about it. And thirdly, we can raise the question of how he's threatened media owners with the cancellation of advertising if journalists publish anything to do with a, a, a contrary view of the government and his attack on the freedom of speech. There'll also be a great opportunity to subpoena Greg Hunt, 
to bring him before the courts so he can explain his actions as a minister. Of course, Craig Kelly has nothing to fear from circulating an Australian government report. He has nothing to fear or be intimidated about the resources. He has the resources to defend himself. He has the resources to expose what's happening with the TGA. And a serious question has got to be asked with Mr Skerritt, who's responsible for regulating drugs in this country. When we see him in a white coat on television promoting vaccines, it's a serious conflict of interest between a regulator promoting a company's product. So we look forward to the United Australia Party with John Skerritt being true to his word, commencing a legal proceeding to allow the real relevant evidence to be brought before the court. Um, I would also say that on behalf of the party, we'll be standing candidates in 151 seats in the House of Representatives in the Senate. And you've probably seen overnight how Wayne Swan, the president of the Labor Party, has started to tremble and fear that he's got no chance in government. Because there is a great coalition in this country at the moment between the Liberal and Labor parties. They represent the real coalition to deny people their chance in an election time. And he knows that Labor will not become the next government of this country. And we're targeting those seats and we expect to be very successful. Our initial polling indicates that. The uh, overwhelming public support that we've had in membership indicates that. And we'll be moving on in the next two to three weeks to make a number of serious policy announcements about other areas of the economy besides just concentrating on lockdowns and, and vaccination policy. We have to think about how we're going to get the economy moving and how we're going to bring Australia back to where it should be, to full employment and freedom across our borders. So maybe with that, you may have some questions you want to ask me. I'm more than happy to answer them. Clark, can you see that by standing here today, by, again, an elected member of parliament, Craig Kelly, can you see how people feel that what you're doing is a campaign of fear? Sorry? Well, tell the people... Well, I, I missed the last two words. About a, a, we talked about campaign of fear. Yeah. You, well, it's not a campaign. I mean, you're, you're, you're here to do this. Look at all this information that you're... That you're Passed on to us here about yeah, sure. adverse reactions to. to it, it's very serious. It's very serious. Yeah. People want their freedoms back. The government's telling us that to get our freedoms back is to get this, to get the jab. Yeah, and we're saying we're saying very clearly that uh, if you want to get the jab or you don't want to get the jab, it's a matter of personal choice, right? But um, the Helsinki Accord, the Nuremberg Declaration, all say that people are entitled to informed consent. Now, this is an Australian government report published by the Australian government. It's not something that we've come up with. And people are entitled to, entitled to their full, full con, informed consent. And all we're doing, really, and all Craig Kelly's doing is saying, true to his oath of office, that he'll protect and defend the rights of all Australians. Now, you know, if there are serious side effects by these vaccines, um, and I would point out these are reports to the TGA by physicians and others about deaths that have taken place following the receipt of the vaccines. And that's all they are, and that's all the, all the report says. But people are entitled to know what the truth is, because the media won't tell them. And the media has been threatened with the loss of their advertising contracts. John Skerritt wrote to a... I think we put some ads on one of the local radio stations you saw a few weeks back. He wrote a letter to them telling them that the TGA would, wouldn't do it, and then immediately gave them a very lucrative advertising contract so that we couldn't get any airtime. And, you know, it's unprecedented in this country where you get the government uh, saying that they will threaten the freedom of of the press, the rights of people to know, by withholding government money for their advertising. And you get media owners who may need that money, instructing their journalists that they can't run articles, they can't be critical of the government, 
that there isn't any fair reporting anymore in this country. So uh, what do you do? Um, Craig Kelly's, as an elected member of the people, has sent a tweet in closing, nothing more, no comments, but our government report so people can have informed consent. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's very commendable and I'll be certainly supporting Mr Kelly with all my resources, for sure, to, to, to defend his right to uh, freedom of speech and the rights of Okay, just pausing it there real quick. Uh, we'll own this to a little bit more of this. But um, uh, he just said right there, uh, I guess on national TV, about the role that uh, the government and also uh, big business media advertising plays into this never-ending death cycle of government overreach, you know. And uh, that's because the government has something that they want to do, and they're going to uh, threaten advertisers or stations with pulling their advertising money. And then so they tell their reporters, like, that's a pretty well and good explanation there. Um, I imagine that anyone in Australia listening to that would probably be pretty teed off for sure. All right, a few more minutes of this, and then uh, we'll move on. Lawyers been in touch with you? Have your lawyers been in touch with him, or is it this is all? No, well, John Sturrock and lawyers haven't been in touch with me, or, or I, I don't, I don't think Mr. Kelly. But we've seen that the threats that John's made, right? Um, certainly, John has written me a letter which I responded to. I think I released that a few few weeks ago. But um, yeah, simple facts are that Mr. Kelly hasn't broken any law. That freedom of speech, despite the lockdowns, exists in Australia. That a different point of view can be should be given. Um, and of course, you know, we know from freedom of information and other reasons that there's been no COVID samples in Australia that they've been able to calibrate testing by, that they've relied on overseas studies and overseas things provided by pharmaceutical companies. And more concerning to me personally is the fact that um, both Pfizer and AstraZeneca would not allow their products to be sold in Australia unless the Australian government gave them the full indemnity that if they killed anyone or maimed them, they wouldn't be responsible, the government would be. So I find that a very disturbing thing that the government didn't take the view and say, well, if you're confident in your product, you should stand behind it. Well, what would you say right now to the people? All right. All right. There's another point there. Uh, he's uncomfortable with the fact that Pfizer and AstraZeneca would not allow their products to be distributed in Australia unless they were giving given immunity from... Uh, not from COVID-19, clearly, uh, but from any type of lawsuits or damages if their um, gene therapy inoculations or uh, spike protein vaccines killed or harmed anyone. Red flags much, anybody? Of Sydney, New South Wales. Mm. 16 odd hundred cases over the yeah, well, we've seen, hang on, we've seen people die in hospital. Mm. They're not dying of fake disease. They're dying of COVID-19. You're up here today. Mm. It's irresponsible. Well, I don't believe that, you know. But what would you say to those well, business owners that can't open their business well, because... I would say it's terrible. Their premier is telling them that the only way out is a double jab, and that's what they're being told. Yeah, I'd say their premier is lying to them. I'd say that she's under an IPAC inquiry that a particular lobbyist in Sydney controls the Liberal Party in Sydney and has told her that the only way she gets out of that inquiry is if she pushes the double jab. And his clients are AstraZeneca. And his clients yeah, are Pfizer. That's, that's, that, that's what I would say. That's what about the business owner? No, uh, he can't uh, hold on. If you let me answer your question, I'll, I'll right. answer it. You're just answering with no, 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 no,
about people that are trying to open their businesses, people that live yeah, in well, towns that are told they have to double Well, if you don't want to be to answer the question, yeah, I'll answer the question to start with. That's what I'd tell them, and I'd say that what the premiers tell them is not true, and that that policy should they shouldn't be locked down. Businesses should be open, and the and the government's using this as an excuse to destroy them, and that's they know that. Do you, that, think that's, they, 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 do you think that the Premier of New South Wales wants to destroy business? I do. And, and, why, why would she do that? Because it's her economy. Because, she, as I tried to explain to you, that she's being directed by a lobbyist in Sydney who's being paid by AstraZeneca and by Pfizer tens of millions of dollars to get these policies through to make sure the vaccine is, is pushed. That's why. You asked the question, I gave you the answer. And that's my personal knowledge. And I'm happy to make a statement here to police or to anyone, if they want to know what's going on. Well, that's all. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be doing that, but it, it, they'll, they'll be named. But not, not only that, um, what's more important, as I said, 46,000 people, 20,000 from the western suburbs of Sydney has decided to join our party. And we do live in a democracy in Australia at the moment. And there is an election coming up. And the government, the federal government, will be held account. I'll just see if there's anyone else who wants to ask a question. Okay, okay, and we will cut it there for this man. Uh, yeah, so there he goes, spilling the beans on um, what's going on with the Premier of New South Wales. That is that one, Gladys Beer Jilkian. Um, but yeah, so so tens of millions of dollars she's receiving as a premier to push the inoculations on the people of Australia, uh, lest she get uh, she get uh, indicted in a probe or investigated into something that's going on apparently between her and someone else. Uh, some interesting notes again here. Uh, he went on to say at the rest of the, during the rest of this interview, um, where he was talking about uh, government and big pharma, you know, basically being in cahoots. Uh, but then he also goes on to mention that the unions were actually also the really strong pushers of what the pharmaceutical companies were wanting um, in regard to the government. So we're looking at a big business, a big union and big government all wrapped up in one. It smells like a recipe for disaster. Smells like the kind of recipe that took down uh, our elections. I mean, with the assistance of, of course, uh, you know, this, uh, what was it again? The, the world's largest and most diverse of election fraudsters. You also had the marriage of big business, big union, and government ensuring that nobody said anything or cried about it until after the dust was settled. Um, so to wrap up Australia, guys, since we see all of this information's coming out, and clearly if you have a man like this uh, out there talking a little bit about what is going on um, in, in uh, you know, behind closed doors in uh, the government of Australia, um, this here is Premier Birgiklian, Birgiklian, pardon me on the pronunciation, uh, but that's been what a lot of the uh, hubbub has been about, is that uh, she has stepped down. She has resigned in disgrace following a corruption probe. Now, she's, she's one of the original tyrants of Australia, um, who has ordered uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt her people to be forced into lockdown uh, under penalty of, uh, you know, high fines, jail time, or a good old police beating. Um, tyrannical New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian announced her difficult decision to resign as of today. 
the news comes after corruption watchdog announced that it was looking into her conduct. Birgiglian also made history of overseeing one of the most fascistic regimes in modern history, like nothing that has been witnessed in the modern Western world. Um, and it is, again, corruption charges, the grace of God that is uh, bringing some relief to the people of Australia. Of course, we don't know exactly how that's going to go for them um, with whomever it is that will be uh, sprout sprouting up behind her. Uh, but now we are going to hear a few words from uh, this disgraced uh, prime minister. Not too much, not too much, guys, because she is, after all, Swamp Creature Central Australia. You know, she's usually out there wrestling with the uh, crocodile uh, whisper <laughs> or whatever his name was. Okay, let's see what this disgraced woman has to say. Significant announcement. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm here to make a public statement and won't be taking any questions. I've had to make an extremely difficult decision overnight, but one which I feel obliged to do because of the love and respect I have for the people of New South Wales and the high regard with which I have for the Office of Premier. I was advised late yesterday afternoon the Independent Commission Against Corruption will today uh, release a public statement in which it will state it is investigating allegations made about me concerning matters relating to the former member for Wagga Wagga. As it is clear from the ICAC... Sorry, guys, I had to pause it. Premier, she did say in regards to uh, her involvings with the former member of Wagga Wagga... <laughs> Sorry, it's not important. I'm sorry. Statement, the issues which it is investigating are historic matters that have already been the subject of numerous attacks on me by political opponents in the last 12 months. Many of the matters were the subject of questions I was asked by the opposition while appearing before an estimates committee hearing early this year. I want to be very clear. In all the decisions I have ever made as a minister or as Premier of New South Wales, my first consideration has always been the well-being and welfare of the people of this state. I state categorically I've always acted with the highest level of integrity. History will demonstrate that I've always executed my duties again with the highest level of integrity for the benefit of the people of New South Wales who I have had the privilege to serve. As the leader of the New South Wales Government, I have expected the highest standards of myself and my colleagues. I have made it clear on numerous occasions that if any of my ministers were the subject of allegations being investigated by an integrity agency or law enforcement. Okay, I'm muting her. She just goes on for a few minutes. Uh, I was the best, uh, want to cry, and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, so... Again, it's all political things, shit, nothing to do with her. I don't know. We'll find out what happened with this woman in ICAC. Uh, let's, we'll, uh, we'll look into the last of this. And then uh, it's actually the common commentators that come on after this too, because they talk a little bit more juice, you know, spill a little bit more of that tea. And together we will build a future full of optimism and hope. Finally, thank you again for giving me the honor of being your premier. Thank you very much. That is an absolutely extraordinary press conference that we've just witnessed now. The Premier of New South Wales announcing that she's resigning her job, and not only that, that she will quit Parliament altogether. There'll be a by-election in her Sydney seat of Willoughby. This is as a result of ICAC, the Independent Commission Against Corruption, putting a statement out today that it's announcing uh, potential conduct breaches, a breach of public trust, into her as a result of her relationship between herself and her then-partner, uh, 
um, uh, Maguire. Let's go to Alex Hart, though, who's our state political reporter who was at that press conference. Alex, I just said then, that is completely extraordinary. It is, isn't it, Michael? A day of extremely high drama in New South Wales politics. But once that statement came out from the New South Wales ICAC earlier today, there really was no choice for Gladys Berejiklian to do uh, what she... But to do what she has done just now, resigning as Premier and, as you say, soon to resign from Parliament altogether. She has made it clear from the beginning of this when she first became linked to Daryl Maguire during those inquiries and investigations and hearings last year that uh, she maintained she's done nothing wrong. But she always said also that she was never the subject of an investigation. But very clearly today in that statement that has come out from the ICAC, she is the subject of the hearings that will take place in October. Okay, so she is the subject of the hearings. We'll figure out what that's all about as we move along. Uh, She is the first in what appears to be a domino effect Um, It it seems that there have been a total of six officials who have resigned in the span of the last three days following the resignation of the Premier Gladys Berejiklian, um, a tyrant that she was of New South Wales, Australia. And of course, we just saw her difficult resignation. It's uh, kind of probably uh, amounted to a bunch of hurt pride. Uh, But some of the other individuals that we're seeing who have also stepped down from the parliament. uh, Now, keep in mind, uh, this uh, former premier, uh, she's stepping away from all of her duties uh, and uh, she will not be a part of of any type of elected office. Uh, You know, one has to wonder why you're stepping down, why you're separating, what's going on here? Well, she's under an investigation. Okay, so she was forced into her resignation. Uh, This dude here, he is uh, the New South Wales um, MP, Andrew Constance. He is going to quit state politics uh, and go for um, federal seat instead. Um, now it says the new South, South Wales Transport Minister uh, will resign from the new South Wales cabinet in the coming days. And as the member of the state seat of Bega, by the end of the year, he will be contesting the federal seat of Gilmore at the next election. Uh, he announced his announcement came just two days after New South Wales Premier. Gladys Berejiklian announced that she was resigning as a result of a corruption investigation. Um, of course, he's saying that's not why he's uh, resigning. He said it had nothing to do. So he's heartbroken for Gladys. But uh, he says, by retiring from state cabinet and New South Wales Parliament, I will provide an incoming leader the opportunity to fill this position. Oh, how thoughtful of you, Mr. Constance. Uh, um, he, he's just like, I want to make it easier for someone else to come on in. Come on and take my seat. I've kept it warm for you, you know, uh, got, gotten your constituents, you know, nice and ripe and pissed off. Uh, come on in. Water is warm. It's not my fault. Uh, Mr. Constance and his liberal colleagues in the New South Wales Parliament are in the process of choosing a new leader ahead of a party room meeting on a Tuesday. Uh, Gilmore, which is New South Wales, uh, New South Wales, Shoalhaven and Illawarra regions, um, and includes communities in the Batemans Bay, Kiami, and uh, Eula Dula, is represented by Labour MP Fiona Phillips. Uh, in his statement on Sunday, Mr. Constance did not say why he wanted to vie for a federal seat instead of continuing to serve in state parliament. 
So there's one dipping out. Um, and again, he says it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, Gladys and the ICAC. Uh, the other one we got dipping out is Deputy Premier John Barillaro. Uh, he is the he was the New South Wales Deputy Premier. Uh, and he is resigning and leaving Parliament. This one's for an interesting reason. Uh, he has revealed a vile and racist attack contributed to his decision to resign as New South Wales Deputy Premier and leave Parliament sparking a third by-election. They're going to have three by-elections now with these three departures. And apparently there's about three more to come. Outgoing Deputy Premier John Barlaro says it has been an honor to serve uh, the people of Monaro and New South Wales. I guess he did so for 10 years. Um, he says legal action against a vile and racist social media attack played a role in his decision to resign and leave Parliament. In a press conference on Monday morning, the New South Wales Nationals leader said it was unbelievable that he had to defend himself from vile and racist attacks in social media settings. He is suing a man by the name of Jordan Shanks, known as Friendly Geordies, in the federal court over two videos which he claims defamed him in a vile and racist attack which portrayed him as a corrupt con man. So, uh, I don't know, maybe the truth was too much for him to handle. And uh, <laughs> he decided to, to take a step. And again, uh, just like the previous uh, man on the screen, this guy has denied that it has anything to do with the resignation of Premier Gladys Berjiklian. And that had no part to play in his decision uh, to leave. Um, he said he's been thinking about it for a while and he's been wanting to resign. And uh, when someone called him a con man to his face, he knew that his precious little snowflake soul could no longer take the heat. So uh, Mr. Borolaro will be um, be resigning again. He was the uh, transport minister, oh, alongside the transport minister, Andrew Constance, uh, Three of six who apparently are taking the axe. Oh, what's his problem? What's your problem? Anyways, he has some problems, man. I mean, aside from signing a one world government contract with Islam and kissing to, uh, you know, consummate the uh, contract. It appears that um, a new report out of France reveals that 330 330,000 children were found to be victims of the church sex abuse over many years. Head of French Bishops Conference is asking forgiveness from their victims who welcomed the publication of a document that is long overdue. Now, an estimated 330,000 children were victims of sexual abuse within France's Catholic Church over the past seven decades, ladies and gentlemen, according to a report released Thursday that France first major reckoning with this devastating phenomenon. Now, I remember when this phenomenon of um, certain preachers not able to uh, keep their things behind their cloaks broke. And I was like, dang, I've known about that for years before that, but uh, that was a totally different uh, 
totally different information stream that I was uh, getting that intel from. Now, the figure includes abuses committed by some 3,000 priests and other people involved in the church, wrongdoing that Catholic authorities covered up over decades in a systemic manner. According to the president of the commission that reported, that issued the report, uh, that man's name is Jean-Marc Suave. Pretty suave, Jean-Marc. All right, good job, sir. Um, now, the head of the French bishops' conference asked forgiveness from the victims. The commission urged the church to take a strong action, denouncing faults and silence. It is also called on the French state to help compensate the victims, notably in cases that are too old to prosecute via the courts. Now, uh, Suave had this to say. He says, the consequences are very serious. About 60% of men and women who were sexually abused encounter major problems in their sentimental or sexual life. The 2,500-page document prepared by an independent commission comes as the Catholic Church in France, like in other countries, seeks to face up to shameful secrets that were long covered up. Victims welcome the report. Again, long overdue. The commission worked for two and a half years listening to victims and witnesses and studying church, court, police, and press archives starting from the 1950s. A hotline was then launched at the beginning of the probe and it received 6,500 calls from alleged victims of people who said they knew a victim or from people, I apologize, it said they knew a victim. Now, Suave denounced the church's attitude until the beginning of the 2000s as a deep, cruel indifference towards its victims. The report says an estimated 3,000 child abusers, two-thirds of them being priests, worked in the church during that period. Suave said the overall figure of victims includes an estimated 216 thousand people abused by priests and other clerics. Sometimes church officials did not denounce the sex abuses and even exposed children to risk by putting them in contact with the predators, Suave said. And uh, he said, we consider the church has a debt toward these victims. Now, the president of the Conference of Bishops of France, Eric de Moline Beaufort, is appalled at the conclusions of this report. Suave said 22 alleged crimes that can still be pursued have been forwarded to prosecutors. More than 40 cases that are too old to be prosecuted but involve alleged perpetrators who are still alive have also been forwarded to church officials. The commission issued 45 recommendations about how to prevent abuse these included training priests and other clerics. How about a chastity belt for the priests since uh, they're one with God now? Maybe they should be the ones wearing that stuff. Anyways, um, revising canon law was another suggestion. And canon law, of course, is legal code the Vatican uses to govern the church and also fostering policies to recognize and compensate victims. Um, now this, uh, so whoa. Oh, sorry. I was like, where's his head? Okay, hold on. <laughs> I apologize. It's no laughing matter, lady. Whoa, look at that mustache. Hey, he looks like the world's most interesting man, but he's not. 
he is actually the world's most disgusting man. Now, um, the reports of these uh, 330,000 victims comes after the scandal surrounding the now defrocked priest, otherwise known as Bernard Prenat. And of course, that story rocked the French Catholic Church. Last year, Prenat was convicted of sexually abusing minors and given a five-year prison sentence. He acknowledged abusing more than 75 boys for decades. One of Prenat's victims, Francois DeVoe, head of the victims group La Prole Liberle, which is the liberated word, told the Associated Press that with this report, the French church for the first time is going to the root of this systemic problem. The deviant institution must reform itself. Question is, if they will do anything with this, that remains to be seen. Now, the Prenat case led to the resignation last year of former Archbishop of Lyon, Cardinal Felipe Barberin, who has been accused of failing to report the abuses to civil authorities when he learned about them in the 2010s. France's highest court ruled earlier this year that Barberin did not cover up the case. Mm -hmm. All right, France's highest court, we see you. Now, French archbishops, in a message to parishioners read during Sunday Mass across the country, said the publication of the report is a test of truth and tough and a serious moment. Pope Francis issued in May 2009 a groundbreaking new church law requiring all Catholic priests and nuns around the world to report clergy sexual abuse and cover-ups by the superiors to church authorities. I still seem to think that, um, you know, chastity belts would probably work a lot better for these men and women of the cloth. In June, Francis swiftly rejected an offer from Cardinal Reinhard Max, one of Germany's, or sorry, Reinhard Max, one of Germany's most prominent clerics and a close papal advisor to resign as Archbishop of Munich and a freezing over the church's mishandling of abuse cases. But he said a process of reform was necessary and every bishop must make, must take personal responsibility for the catastrophe of the crisis doesn't sound like they're going to do too much more with that. But with that, that light has been shed and hopefully uh, justice will be served to the victims across the board. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that does it. That wraps up another edition of the Sea Report. Today was the international edition. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was roving this week. This week, we definitely had a roving International News Day. Who knows? It might happen again next week. We're not sure just yet. We'll just see how news plays out. Uh, if you're joining us tonight again on Twitch or at Cloud Hub, thank you so much. And if you're joining us over at the foxhole.app and at pill.net, well, my friends and my family, much love to you all for sure. I'm releasing the scratching now. And uh, thank you for all those who donated gold pills over at Pilled and Foxhole. Much appreciated. I think the last one we had come in was Sean Joe with the cookie. So thank you very much for that. And uh, let's see who we got in here. Bodina, good evening. Welcome to the C-Chats. Didn't see a sneak in there. Bodina says, I expected nothing less from the satanic garb-wearing preaching 
within satanic symbolized temples, Vatican, church, etc. You know, Bodina, I had this one interesting concept um, that I had thought about. And I just, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I used to be one to enjoy walk, rocking the boat, but uh, sometimes I don't want to do that. But I always had this theory that what if Catholicism was nothing more than the marriage of Satanism and Christianity into one uh, Christian-like Sarah. That's why it's so spooky and they wear black gowns and they have all this other... But I'm not trying to offend any current believing Catholics. Of course, I don't. That's not my style. Maybe when I was 15, I was into that kind of a thing. But, uh, you know, ritual and all this other stuff seem, seems to make sense to me. But anyways, thank you all for tuning in tonight. Uh, as I see, what we got? Two Rivers. Good evening, sir. Good to see you. Sergeant Sparky in the house. Pithagi. Good evening, Pithagi. Good to see you. We will be back tonight in about uh, approximately an hour and a half to do the Mr. C in the dark. We're going to, uh, we're probably going to spill in to some, um, some of those, um, those like fringe headlines. I don't always get to touch. Got a little bit of stuff prepared there. It'll always be a casual conversation and review of the news either way. WC Cranop, good evening, sir. Welcome, welcome. And uh, casual GG Redbeard. Oh, we got a lot of peeps uh, out there. Good to, glad to have you all with us, whether you're uh, here in spirit or you're here in the chat room. <laughs> It is much appreciated. Uh, but nevertheless, we'll be back at 12 midnight here at the Mr. C channel, otherwise known as uh, Mr. C TV on Twitch and on Clout Hub. Uh, if you enjoyed tonight's episode and the work we do here at um, the Sea Report, please do tell your family and your friends, uh, spread the word abroad, uh, put us in your social links, uh, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, and also, as I said at the beginning of the show, you can also check us out at thecereport.com. Where'd my little banner for it goes? There we go. Thecereport.com. News, newly uh, newly facelifted and uh, continuing to grow. Check us out there. Follow us there. We also got a blog. And then also check us out at... Um, where are you at, girl? Check us out over at uh, anchor.fm. If I can find my little tab here, it's probably right there. There we go. Listen to the podcast in case your hands aren't free and your uh, eyes aren't free. You can take me on the go. And uh, we'll, you know, let everyone know. Also uh, available on every major podcast platform out there. Don't miss it, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that wraps it up for now. Let me get off the screen before I stay here till midnight. You guys have a great night. Appreciate it, Sean Joe. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, let's see here. And uh, oh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. C. Don't forget the latest three Project Veritas was blink. Yes, 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 yes. We have viewed all five of them here, Two Rivers, live. Uh, and uh, we're waiting for the next one to drop. Casual GG, we'll see you in just a few. Till then, you all have a great night, and as always, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.